What is it? Don't you play any of that heavy metal music tonight, Mr. Sovereign. I don't know what happened to you, but you used to be such a good conservative boy. Whatever you say, Mrs. You should mind your own goddamn business. What did you call me, young man? Oh, nothing. Good night. <sighs> Tell me what to listen to. Try this. Bringing his hard-hitting attitude and journalism to hard rock and heavy metal. Get ready to get rock, hard, and fast. By the podcast champion, the man of tomorrow, Dragonaut One, Brian Sovereign, on the Hard and Fast Podcast. And now, here's Brian. Dragonaut One is here for you for another episode of the Hard and Fast Podcast, and I am not doing it hard and fast alone, I usually don't, but I mean, the podcast, whew, sorry, uh, but I am here with my headlight queen, and you're going to know what the hell that means uh, as we talk about this, being joined by Ellen Stallone for this very special episode of the Hard and Fast Podcast. Ellen, is it, this is, we've recorded stuff before, but I think this is your first time on, on the show, isn't it? It's Probably my first time on the Hard and Fast podcast. Right, right, yeah. So, well, we're going to be doing some reviews because over the over the past while, um, we have been catching some uh, some pretty amazing concerts. In fact, we talked about it in Zomi One Underground content. Uh, we talked about we saw. <laughs> this is this is a podcast for metal fans. You're probably going to turn it off once once I say this, but I'll say it anyway. We went and saw a Little River Band. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you can hear that, of course, if you sign up for the Zomia One Underground at zomia1.com. Um, but no, in fact, what we're actually going to talk about here is none other than a band that I have called my favorite band of all time, that being Kiss. Uh, and, you know, now you've been on Sovereign Tech in the past, one of my other shows. You've been on, and actually, we've spent a ton of time, like, covering metal songs and, like, metal bands and everything uh, towards the end of that during the segment of the show called The Climax. Um, so, you know, people, longtime listeners of my work and yours well know that you're pretty into metal, you know, and, and, and hard it. rock and all that. You love it. There you go. Exactly. Uh, so, seeing Kiss. Now, this is, Kiss is on their end of the world tour. Or, wait, not end of the world. It <laughs> oh feels like the end of the world. <laughs> Holy shit, it's all over. No. <laughs> Maybe for you, because yeah. it's your favorite band. Yeah, though Gene Simmons has come out and says this isn't really the end for Kiss. It's the end for him and Paul, but perhaps not for Kiss. Anyway, that's another conversation for another time. But uh, it's the end of the road tour, and this is a tour that's going some odd like three years. We're talking about Gene, and, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this, I'm sure. Gene and Paul, of course, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, uh, I mean, they're pretty much kissing 70s, you know, as far as like an age, not in the, the style of their music. There's certainly plenty of that on display. Um, but this is supposed to be the final tour for Gene and Paul. And so I said to you, I was like, we got to go to this. Wherever it's closest, we got to make it happen. And closest ended up being Philadelphia um, for for this. And we made the whole trip. I mean, we, you know, coming from New Hampshire, and that was not a short trip at Well, we all. drove. Yeah, we, we drove. drove the whole trip. Right. And that was... Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, it's a long drive. Yeah. Very, very long drive. Whole day of driving. Yeah, and we did it just for this. Like, we didn't, we didn't see any other sites in Philadelphia at all, did we? Uh, not unless you count the slums. Oh, yeah, wait, we, whoa. we went to the art museum, too. Oh, we did go to the art... You're, no, you're right. We did go because we had to do the Rocky Steps. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Philadelphia. Not not the greatest city on planet Earth, huh? Oh, it's it's so densely populated. It's yeah. really crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, KISS came there, and it was... Uh, well, again, they have a lot of shows. I wouldn't be surprised. So I just wanted to make sure... That we saw this, you know, and, and you you had never seen Kiss before. No, I had never seen Kiss, and I had never really been interested in seeing Kiss either. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So tell me more about that. Tell me more about about like like your experience of Kiss before we go to this concert. Uh, basically, the only experience I had with Kiss was you know hearing them play on the radio or hearing my mother listen to them when I was a little kid. Uh-huh. I'd never listened to an album the whole way through or anything. I never even you know looked at their videos on YouTube. Right. I just kind of uh, didn't pay attention to them. Sure. Like, they were there in the background, but I didn't have any motivation to search further into their music. Yeah, so, well, then you start hanging out with me. And <laughs> and then everything changed. Yeah, because <laughs> Kiss is a major part uh, of my life, has been for is almost as far, actually, as far back as I can remember. Um, there's going to be later on after we're going to talk about this concert afterwards, uh, we'll hit a break and I'm actually re-releasing in this episode, uh, a, what used to be Zomi one underground content where I did, you got to understand how many albums kiss has. They have like over 30 albums. It's insane. That's not counting live albums or any of that stuff. I mean, there's That's so incredible. yeah, right, right. I mean, cause they've been doing this since 1974, uh, and they had albums coming out all the way up to, you know, 2014 and so on. Um, but there, so there's a lot of albums to, to go through with them. And I actually did a full breakdown. This is about maybe two, three years ago. I did a full ranking and breakdown of each of these albums. And that I will be releasing or that'll come out after we're done reviewing uh, the end of the road tour. Um so if people want to, you know, get it, get a, a feel for how much uh, I love Kiss, you're certainly going to hear it there. But like for me, when I was six years old, I can explicitly remember the album Crazy Nights coming out by Kiss, which interestingly might be the maybe one or two of the albums. Well, maybe there's like four of them. One of the few albums that didn't get some kind of play, a song from it didn't get some kind of play during this tour and we'll break down all the songs that we saw because i mean i don't know if the set list has changed that much but certainly we'll talk about the set list um but anyway when i was six i knew the words to the song crazy crazy nights it was the first song i ever like i i can think of where i really knew the words like all the way and i could just keep singing it and i thought it was so fucking cool um so i've you know that that's that's to say i've loved kiss for a very very long time but you're new to them and and i think that that I think that creates some interesting perspectives that I want to get into uh, with this. Now, I did have you listen to some albums, and we did listen to some music together before you ended up going to the to the concert. Well, we watched a documentary together. Oh, that's right! I made you watch Kiss Exposed, which that's is right. now. All right, what, now what did you think of this? Now, all right, well, real quick, Kiss Exposed came out in the '80s. This is during their non-makeup era, which is my favorite era of Kiss. Of course, right now, of course, or actually for over a decade now, they've been running around. Well, for hell, 20 years now, 
uh, over 20 years. They've been running around with the makeup again. Uh, this is from the 80s, and it's right at right when Asylum, the album Asylum, came out in 86. And it is, it, it's like a, because it's not really their house. It's supposed to be a documentary, and it plays some of their music videos and rare live shows in between. Um, but it's not, like, real. It's not a mockumentary, because it's legit in some ways. It's just... I don't know how exactly to describe that, but it's a documentary, basically. Yeah, music documentary. it Go ahead. seems like it was a documentary uh, that was meant to like put on display their skills as artists. Yeah, but the whole thing, like as it was following them throughout their supposed daily life, uh, it seemed like it had an attitude of like self mockery. Yeah, very tongue in cheek. Yeah, absolutely. Even though they did say tell some very real stories during it, uh, some of which were very interesting. Um, but, I mean, how, how did you experience this? Uh, well, I mean, as I was watching it, I didn't... It didn't exactly give me the best impression. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, they're in the mansion, there's women everywhere, right? I mean, Yeah, was... and they're, they're treating them really like objects. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, yeah. they're just playing up the stereotypes of what everyone thinks rock stars like them live like. So, uh, of course, they were over the top and they're right. harping on, like, probably what people see is like the negative stereotypes of their life but i i thought it was kind of fun to watch honestly yeah <laughs> because um well as i was watching it you kept commentating on it and uh there's actually one part where they were sitting at the breakfast table i think paul stanley was eating a bowl of cereal <laughs> and he said that he put what was it dr pepper in his cornflakes oh no so he's having he was having <laughs> raisin bran raisin bran he's having post raisin bran and he put he puts root beer in it. Root beer, <laughs> okay. And he's this is the ultimate, you know, sugar high or whatever. And so, well, what did I say to that? You said that because of that, you started eating that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> damn right I did. When I was a teenager, me and my buddy, uh, uh, my, my best friend at the time, Spock. Yeah, we were we would do that every morning. We'd have raisin bran and we'd pour root beer. Oh my god. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'd be see right in. It was. I, I mean, That's so and, bad. That's so bad. <laughs> But this is the thing, right? Like, so, uh, Kiss Exposed. Not all right. So you're you're a fan of like what would you say is more your metal? Like more more butt rock stuff? Like uh, give, give, give me give me some give me some bands here. <laughs> give me some bands that you'd be into. <laughs> I mean, um, I've seen some pretty terrible T-shirts that you've worn, but uh, <laughs> I think what you're referencing is the Breaking Benjamin T-shirt that I, I got. Which, actually, I went to go see them. That was the first metal concert I right. ever went to. So, right. of course, I had to get a t-shirt. Sure, sure. And it was my birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Breaking Benjamin's not that bad. I mean, no, yes, I, they I, are a butt rock. But... Yeah, I, I don't mind Breaking Benjamin that much. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's not like we went to the gym one night and, boy, there was somebody there wearing uh, a... <laughs> butt cherry. <laughs> she was wearing a butt cherry shirt. I'm like, oh, God. Like, stop. It's like, might as well wear a lit t-shirt while you're at it. <laughs> Oh, not anyway. Uh, so okay, so 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 that's more your your brand. Now, well, I listen to them, but I mean, I'm more of a fan of power metal, like Dragon Force. And, yeah, right. And Steve Vai. That's that's more my brand of metal. F fuck yeah. Okay. Well, or um, even Beast in Black. That's actually my most recent new favorite. Damn right. As is as it is mine. And honestly, if, if they can keep up the track record they're going, they might be the band that could unseat Kiss in my mind, as far as being the greatest metal act of all time. Wow. Uh, I mean, they're that good. Dragon Force comes pretty close too. I mean, they're really high on my list. But now, all right. So let me ask you. I mean, I'll just pick out a band. Ah, uh, uh, fuck. I don't know. Do, do you listen to like Kill Switch Engage? 
I have. I've had my days. Yeah. Okay. Could you imagine them? Imagine them doing a documentary about themselves. Do you think it would be half as fun? Oh, not at all. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 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 Go on. <laughs> I mean, Killswitch Engage. Their music is like really heavy metal. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like very dark, though. Sure. There's a lot of darkness, and it kind of seems like they wouldn't have as much fun. They'd be more like intense. Yeah, okay. Or how about, um, uh, uh, who, who are those? Oh, Five Finger Death Punch. Oh, God. Like, I, I mean, imagine them doing a documentary of some kind. Like, it'd probably be, you'd probably watch it, and, uh, you know, I want to say this with some sensitivity, but seriously, you'd probably want to off yourself by the time it's over, you know what I mean? Because you'd just be so damn depressed. And Yeah, so actually, at the Breaking Benjamin concert I went to, Five Finger Death Punch also played. And just for, like, the short period of time that they were on stage... <laughs> talking instead of singing yeah it was already bad because like <laughs> supposedly i don't know what happened um the lead singer got mad about something walked uh-huh. off stage in the middle of their set and then he like didn't come back for the next few shows what does he think he's axel rose what the fuck it was bad i don't know it was just drama just, I, <laughs> shitty drama see so, but that's the thing right is that well a i mean that's a complete lack of professionalism in my yeah. opinion uh and i mean it really is like i could never really imagine paul stanley like walking off the stage like i i just but anyway but my point being you know with like the documentary of because it's cheesy it's ridiculous it's over top sure there's women everywhere and everything but fuck boy if the world doesn't need people having a good time you know and, and, and like something just fun and 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 funny but also it's coming from a point of because oh i could get lost on the tirade on this but it's coming from a point of pe- people that you know have genuine fucking talent like people can make fun of kiss or say their their style over substance all they want they're fucking talented uh, i mean it, it will, certainly we'll get into that um because i think a lot of people just do comedy today because they couldn't make anything serious, like seriously great if they tried. So they just make a mockery out of everything. And that, that, that seems to be order of the day. It's either a depression fest or just make fun of everything. And uh, I mean, and that ironically is its own depression fest. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, that's the thing why I love kiss exposed is because, and I like your critiques that you made while we were watching it, totally valid and totally on, but at the same time or not, but just, and at the same time, there's nothing that gets made like that today and no one could get away with making that today. And, and it's, I just think it's so special and precious and, and it's so beautiful to see people just having such out loud fun, uh, again, you know, or, or yeah, I don't know what happened to the world, but it certainly isn't the 1980s anymore. Anyway, <laughs> do you have any other comments on that that you No, I guess you're right. I mean, it was just completely outrageous. And I think, that it was like self-aware and out how outrageous it was being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can do that. You can do outrageous and be self-aware. Like you know, we've we've been uh, on a bit of a Fast and Furious kick. Oh yeah. You know, as in the movies, they're very <laughs> self-aware. They know that they're not Citizen Kane or anything, but they they do it. You know, they know they're self-aware and they know they're over the top and ridiculous and they do it right. You know, and they do it great. So there's something <laughs> to be said for that, right? What would you say? Sure. No, I I agree with that. Yeah, and I also appreciated that during the documentary they did play a lot of music videos. Yeah. So like you get to you get a sense of what their musical collection is like. Right, right, and it's a lot of their '80s stuff because again, it is from their non-makeup era. Even though there's plenty of rare rarities from their '70s era, but like I said, I'm a bigger fan of their non-makeup era. I don't know. I mean, your your experience is uh, a little more limited. In, in, in them, so I don't know if you could like 
say if you like non-makeup era more than makeup era. Um, no, don't ask me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is <laughs> which is fine. I mean that that's good because you know I mean let's talk about the concert. This is actually great. I, I will give them credit, even though there's some albums they didn't touch that I wish they did. Uh, like I don't think they did a single song off of. Um, uh, fuck, Hot in the Shade uh, from 89. Or they didn't do a single song off of Crazy Nights, like I said. And I wish they did. But they really, and and Paul Stanley opened it up saying, we're going to do the entire history, as they call it. You know, the history of Kiss. They call it history. We're, we're going to do stuff from all over it. And I feel like they really did. I mean, granted, I don't, they didn't do anything off of Elder or... Um, or unmasked. I mean, th- those are there's a few albums that I guess I can kind of understand why they didn't. But they really ran a good 30, 40 year gamut of music. They even did stuff off of their newer albums, that being Sonic Boom and Monster, both of which I think are genuinely great albums uh, that that don't get enough credit. And I think over time will become classics. They will become a big deal. Uh, but anyway, so we're we're sitting there. Seats are pretty good, yeah, at the, at the Philadelphia, I forget what even, oh, it was the Wells Fargo Center, that's what it was. Yeah, we had a side view of the stage, so we're yeah. like sitting kind of in line with all of the performers. Right, right, you know, and, and quick quick comment on this, like, the KISS stage came out so far, you know, it was so uh, deep, that I thought when I ordered the tickets, I was like, God, you know, you know, this, these are probably really great seats. We'll just kind of see them from an angle or something. But the stage was so deep and there's so much going on on the stage, uh, that we ended up like kind of being at the side of the stage, which, which is what I wasn't expecting. But anyway, plenty of LEDs, LED screens and all that stuff there, some of which, you know, we couldn't exactly see. But, uh, boy, the pyrotechnics. You couldn't miss it if you tried. I mean, in uh, fact, as I understand it, this is the largest pyrotechnic show in, in concert history. I and, could believe it. Yeah. They had a very elaborate setup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, flames everywhere. I mean, they, they had, like, heat shields over the stage yeah. that <laughs> also doubled as LED screens. Right. Because, <laughs> like, there were so many flames going off that the whole place was filling with smoke, and then they had these fireworks coming out of this giant structure that they had built it was like a diamond shape or something but yeah it had holes all over it so that it could like shoot out these sparkling fireworks throughout the show right which eric singer the drummer was sitting atop of and i mean that just looked amazing you know to, to see that yeah it was such a cool design yeah but yeah it was incredible over the top how much how many fireworks they had right yeah uh I mean, now, so you had you had gone to you you had gone to a couple metal shows before then, sure, uh, at least, and this one. I, I mean, what did you, how did this feel different to you than concerts you had seen previously? And don't you don't even have to just include metal; it could be any concert that you you've gone to over the years. Um, like, I mean, what was the feel? Well, I mean, the production value felt incredible. I mean. On top of all of the pyrotechnics and the, the fire, um, all of the performers were in their full, like, glamorous outfits and makeup. Yeah. And, w- I mean, which, that in itself was incredible because of their age, you know, they're they're getting pretty old. Yeah, Paul and, and Jean are 70, I think, yeah. right. Yeah. And they're still dancing around in these super high platform boots. Yeah. And, and they look great in these skin-tight, metallic, whatever suits they're wearing. I don't know if they're made of leather or what, but 
it was just, it was crazy because they were performing almost like they were still in their 30s. Sure, jeans, spitting blood, you know, spewing fire off of the, off the, the sword and, or, well, whatever. Yeah, he did. He spewed fire. Yeah, he's <laughs> flying in the air right during the beginning of God of Thunder yeah. and everything. Yeah. I mean, it, so there were like platforms on the side of the stage that lifted them up. And then at one point at the end of the concert, I think Paul Stanley like stood on this giant rope swing and went entirely across the this auditorium yeah. to to the other side. Past hundreds of people. Yeah. And if not thousands. And, Just flying over their head. <laughs> right. And goes to a second stage towards the back and starts rocking it from there. And uh, yeah, that was amazing. Um, so, I mean, like in comparison to other, like you, you'd seen Breaking Benjamin. Um, we you, also saw uh, In This Moment and, yeah, and, and Hailstorm. We had seen Hailstorm previously, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So, so another thing that stood out about this concert was that um, I felt like Paul Stanley was really interactive with the crowd. Like, yeah. he was trying to be really friendly and charismatic. And it worked. I mean, like, it was a lot of fun having him talk to you. It felt like he was talking to you. He's notorious for his banter, his onstage banter. And sometimes he says things, I mean, I'll just be honest about it. Sometimes he says things that are like, what the fuck did he just say? (laughs) (laughs) But then there's other times where, you know, I I think he's genuinely often saying something really great. You know, like he, he, I I, I listened to his book. He just had a new book come out at the end of April, I think. It was called Backstage Pass. And I'll probably do a review of it at some point. For some reason, he's getting a lot of flack for this book. I thought he said a lot of really brilliant things in it. And I've, I've watched so many KISS concerts. There's times where I think he says some really great shit and really insightful stuff. But either way, it's fun. And, you know, compare it to, we recently saw, we saw Hailstorm again mm-hmm. with Alice Cooper, uh, compared to how Alice Cooper was performing, right? I mean, Alice Cooper, based, other than one moment, and no and no disrespect to Alice Cooper, I love him too, uh, didn't really interact with the crowd much. Like, I mean, they're, 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 what, do, what do you think about that contrast? Um, well, I mean, I think Alice Cooper w- tried to put on a really great show, mm-hmm. and he did. He had so many props, and he was playing out this whole fantasy land of his. He had a whole uh, castle behind him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, like, all these other characters that would join him on stage and act out something crazy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he didn't talk to the crowd at all. Yeah. And, um, not that I felt like it was lacking or anything, but, uh, that certainly could have Im- improved, like, the crowd's relationship with him. Yeah. It would have been a lot more memorable to me. Yeah, absolutely. Because clearly, I mean, it's one of the first things you brought up here with mm-hmm. this with this concert was, you know, the fact that Paul Stanley was so interactive with the, uh, you know, with the audience. And again, he I mean, he's really always been that way. But that's part of what I think makes a Kiss show so fun is that they really want you to get involved. And there's plenty of songs where they do that. Um, what did you think about like the... Well, if you have more comments on what do you, you know, how you compare that show to other shows that you've seen, go for it. Um, but I'm curious also, like, what did you think about the concert goers, like the crowd in general? Did it feel like a different crowd or was it standard fare? Um, honestly, I couldn't really tell. I mean, like the people we were sitting around, they seemed like the kind of people that would go to a show like this. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know how to comment on that yeah no that's fair i mean i what do you think well i was impressed by most people really were able to sing along with all the songs Mm -hmm. i mean not that kiss even you know i can admit it they're my favorite band they don't have like most of their songs are not the 
deepest uh, things in the world, you know? I mean, like, it's not like it's not like the, the words are that hard. <laughs> no, I don't think they're made for, like, being intellectual or anything. It's no. Just it's just fun. Yeah, it's meant to be fun and sexy, you know? and or, or maybe, like, a dark sexy with, like, what Gene would put out there, you know? Um, Glamorous, right? Yeah. It's glam rock. Yeah, it's, it's very much, it could fall into that, into, into that, uh, that, that category. Uh, certainly in the 80s it would, when, when Paul was really in charge of things and Gene was off doing what he was doing in Hollywood or trying to do in Hollywood. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Well, so, yeah, I thought the crowd was more or less fine. And it was, as has been the case for, with Kiss for at least a couple decades now, the, the age range was, you know, you, you couldn't throw a dart at it. I mean, it was, you know, little kids... All the way to people who were, you know, uh, I think they had colostomy bags there, uh, which, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, whatever, that's fine. Uh, so, but uh, I mean, and that's impressive if you can pull that off. Uh, I mean, there's a little part of me that's like, because now I don't know if you, and I, I think I had you listen to this album. Uh, my, it's a toss up, but I'll basically say one of, if not my favorite Kiss album is an album called Revenge from uh 19 i guess it would have been 1992 and that album there's a song on it called take it off now you can watch we didn't watch this dvd but there's a dvd called kiss uh confidential i think it is it, it, i forget which one's which because there's confidential then there's extreme close-up and in it there's a video for that song take it off and they have strippers get right on the stage and they start stripping completely you know and um that's not going to happen today Sadly, or I don't know about sadly, but it's just not going to happen today. Like that aspect of things just isn't going to be there, partly because this has become a multi-generational band. And I think actually that's also the reason that even after the end of the road tour, Kiss isn't done. Gene and Paul might be, but Kiss itself, that that band, that unit uh, or that that phenomena is is not done. Um, and I actually I kind of hope so, because their last song that they ever recorded was uh I think it was called Don't Touch My Ascot, and it's from a Scooby-Doo movie. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, so, so we need another Kiss song before. <laughs> uh, I don't know, we need something. Well, they've replaced other band members in the past, right? Yeah, sure. And they, they get their whole new, like, character and makeup and outfit, right? Like, well, they fit into the Kiss universe? Yeah, yeah, well, there, there you go. You're, you're hitting at what exactly they have, and which is impressive for them to pull that off. Um, they don't, and, and some people are very, like, people I respect a lot, like Eddie Trunk, they're contentious over the fact that it used to be that you got new makeup, but now they just put you in either Ace, Ace Fraley's or Peter Chris's uh, makeup that they had from the 70s. They'll make you the Spaceman or the Cat, uh, which they do. Like, Eric Singer is the cat here. And, of course, the person doing Spaceman duties during this concert was Tommy Thayer, who's been in the band for a good while now. Uh, both do tremendous, uh, in my opinion, do tremendous jobs. The musicianship. I mean, wh what do you think? Obviously, the like, the suits and everything, that the full regalia that they wear, you, you had already said that that was impressive as hell. Um, I mean, the, 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 the musicianship, like, how about this, actually? So we've seen quite a few metal concerts now. I think a fun thing to compare in metal concerts is who has the best drum solo? And Eric Singer during this. Now, I'll say it. I thought it was an incredible drum solo. It's, oh, not, yeah. the, it's not the best one I've seen this year. But, <laughs> <laughs> and I think you might know who, who, who had the best one. I think we might agree on that. Uh, Maybe. In fact, you know what? 
All right, who had the best one this year so far that we've seen? I would say Dream Theater. Dream Theater had the best drum solo? Not, was... to- not Tommy Aldrich from Whitesnake? All right, that was really fucking incredible. I mean, when he starts bashing with his hands, he's No, like... I mean, he was incredible. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Dream Theater had the craziest setup. I mean, it yeah. wasn't just, like, a standard drum set. He had stuff going, like, over his head. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I can appreciate that. I, I wasn't going to say Eric Singer had the best, you know, as far as Kiss goes. I wasn't, I wasn't going to say that, but, yeah, I mean, Dream Theater, we got to do that review of the Dream Theater concert, because that was something else. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hell, they could have taken my top spot over Kiss after seeing that show. That was just insane, um, and I know you're a huge fan. I love them. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> so, that'll be coming up in a future Hard and Fast podcast, folks. Um But I mean, all right, so Eric Singer's drum solo, I mean, how did you feel about that? I mean, I thought it was impressive. I thought all of the musicians there were really incredible. And they were great. They They didn't make a single mistake, as far as I could tell. They played excellent. Um, And they were all charismatic, too. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they weren't just standing in one spot playing and, like, swaying back. Like, they were actually walking around on the stage and, like, facing different directions and getting up on the moving platforms and, like, sometimes they would do the the photogenic shot where they were, like, all standing together at the front of the stage. Yeah. Yeah, and it was great. And I think the drummer at one point even, um, he played Beth, right? Yes. Like, he played the piano the and was yeah. singing Beth. Yeah, yeah, which he does a phenomenal... Eric Singer... Eric Singer's been with the band since 92, since since Revenge. Um and yeah, he's he's just done a great job in in that position, and 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 he actually does a great job singing. He's singing the song Beth. So you're saying like, and, and I agree with you. Everybody, just in their motions and actions, were putting on a tremendous show. You didn't even the you didn't even need the pyro. Well, the pyro certainly helped. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I thought it was it was all like tremendous and wonderful. I. I mean, sometimes you can tell when people haven't had a lot of experience performing, but it just, they all seem like they've been doing this forever, and they were really good at it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, let's let's get into, let's talk about the set list a bit, and we're going to find out what your favorite song was uh, of the night. And it was a pretty good set list, uh, about 20 songs total, and they opened up with... Uh, I mean, they did their classic opening. You wanted the best, you got the best. I mean, they've been doing that forever. But uh, they opened it up at Detroit Rock City. That makes a lot of sense for them to open up with that. Uh, then they go right into Shout It Out Loud. Uh, then they go with Deuce. All three of those songs makes perfect sense. I mean, those are major hits for them. Makes perfect perfect sense that they would do it. Uh, the fourth song that they did shocked me. And no pun intended there, because Shocked Me is a, a classic Kiss song. Um it was Say Yeah. Now, this song is off of Sonic Boom, which is an album from, like, it was either 2011 or 2013. I forget it, the exact year. Uh, and it, and I love it. I think it's a great album. And I, I get it why they did this song, Say Yeah, because the chorus of it is a very simple Say Yeah, Yeah. You know, I'm not going to sing. I can't sing. But that's literally the chorus. And so you can get the crowd behind it, even if they have no fucking idea what the song is. And I, sadly... This isn't just true of Kiss. I think this is true of, and I imagine you've kind of seen the glass eyes at, at concerts we've gone to recently. Um, most people going to these, what you could call classic rock acts, have, pay no attention to their new music. 
they, they just have no fucking idea. And it's something that annoys the hell out of me. It's annoyed the hell out of me, frankly, for 20 years. I mean, it's not like this is a new phenomenon at all. And again, it's not just KISS. It's everybody. So even if people, and like, and I would wager that 80% of the people there had no idea that they even had music come out in the aughts. Uh, you could get into the song, Say Yeah. It was a fun song, sounded kind of like the 70s era, and so it worked for them to, uh, to go with that. Uh, then they go into, uh, this isn't surprising either, but I thought that it was fun. They do I Love It Loud uh, was their next song. Now, I mean, out, out, of this li- out of this first five, I mean, how are you feeling, if you can remember, uh, you know, how are you feeling about this? Especially when you got into, like, I Love It Loud. That's got a nice little drum beat to it. I mean, w- w- what did you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I Love It Loud was, like, my favorite song out of all the ones you just listed. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going pretty well. I mean, like, I knew the first three songs that they were playing. Right. Those are huge uh, hits. Yeah. Yeah, huge hits. Um, so I was familiar with them. Not that they're, like, my favorite, but I was starting to get an idea of, like, how great the performance was going to be. Yeah, the energy. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. No, it was it was really exciting. Um, even though, like, if I were to just listen to this music, like, uh, on my phone or something, I, I wouldn't get excited about it. I mm-hmm. might even, like, skip over it. But seeing them perform it live, there's just some sort of magic about it. I was really getting excited to hear what they had to play. Yeah, you know, you raise an interesting point with that, because Kiss didn't really hit it. They were three albums deep back in the 70s until they really hit it with their fourth album, which was a live album called Alive. And that's now like a classic. It's considered one of the greatest live albums of all time, even though we now know it was actually very heavily produced. It wasn't like as live as some want to suggest. But regardless of that, yeah, it's that live energy that usually hooks people into Kiss. Um, I mean, for me... In a very real way, it was the music videos, which is kind of a live performance. Uh, but they put on like a full story and, you know, they make their music videos something very exciting. So, yeah, I think that's it. I think Kiss needs that visual aspect for to get it. And then the music, you can listen to it all the time because then, you know, it's in your memory. And, and the, or the visuals are in your memory or the excitement or the energy, whatever's in your memory. So you raise a great point about that. I, I, I think that's very salient. Um, so after that, we they, they stick in the 80s for a little while, which I was very pleased with, because, again, the non-makeup era is my favorite. Uh, they'd go into Heaven's on Fire. Great song. Right. I know. I mean, that's so exciting. Like, I, I, <laughs> I don't know how. In fact, sadly, it's the it's off of an album called Animalize. There are a lot of great songs on Animalize. I don't know why this is the only one that took, but it is a, it's a killer song, and it's so much fun, and everybody sings along. I mean, it's really something. Um so uh, then it goes into War Machine, which I was kind of surprised by this. Uh, this is also a moment where Gene is breathing fire, you know, which was a common thing for him to do. Uh, I was shocked by this because usually he wouldn't, you wouldn't do War Machine and I Love It Loud in the same concert because there's an in, a specific, like the breathing fire and all this, there's a specific intro that Gene does that works with either one of those songs but you usually only do one so it's kind of surprised that he did both of them uh but they're both from the same album they're both from creatures of the night uh and i i thought that yeah war machine was a, has a really nice deep bass line that that really gets people going anyway then it goes into lick it up uh this is a guaranteed song that they're going to play uh fortunately or you know whatever most of the little ones 
in the audience probably have no idea what the fuck the song's about. <laughs> because it is about one thing, and one thing only. Uh, it is about absolute... It's about oral sex, whichever way it goes, you know, whether you're eating pussy or sucking dick. I mean, it, 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 that's, that's or licking it, you know, whatever. That that's that's what this one's all about. And uh, well, look it up. What do you think? <laughs> uh, so I didn't even know what this song meant until you had me listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I thought it was fun. I mean, it was kind of funny that they played it live. Not that um, I really enjoy the idea of, like, oral sex with the performers. But <laughs> <laughs> right. But, yeah, it was fun. It was. It definitely put a smile on my face. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you hear those just those opening chords, and it, it can't help but get a smile on and your face. And they're so shameless about it, too. That exactly. That's great about it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, that is what's so great about it. It's just open, just brazen, and, like, here it is, folks. <laughs> we're talking about eating, we're singing about eating pussy right now. And it, it's it's so cool. Uh, <laughs> or it's, it's, it's just something that's lacking in a lot of society, you know? Yeah. It's really accepting of, of sexuality in exactly. a way that I don't feel that really any performers are today. Right. I right. mean, there's sexual content out there, but it's not like the brazen sort of like, just the attitude, like you said, that Kiss has. Yeah. 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 Uh, amazing. So anyway, after Lick It Up, it ends up going, uh, going back to uh, some 70s stuff. You get Calling Dr. Love, uh, 100,000 Years, which this is where the drum solo came in. Um, th- those are those are fine picks. Uh, Cold Gin, then there's God of Thunder, which is a very fun song and kind of an obligatory song for Gene to do. Um, and I, I enjoy that. It's a very dark song, but, it, but it's fun. Uh, then they go into Psycho Circus, which I'm amazed that, that this is a song from the 90s, from the reunion album when they came back in 96, uh, and it's the, the title of the album. But I'm amazed that that has become such a big hit. I'm glad it is, because I think that album's great and doesn't get enough credit. Uh, but it was nice that that got played. Uh, then it's right back to the 70s with Let Me Go Rock and Roll, Love Gun. Um, now I'm going to skip the next one, because I want to talk about that towards the end. But then there's another 70s song. But then they do Black Diamond. Black Diamond, I think, is such an epic song. And the whole crowd just like gets into the, you know, they do the whole, woo, you know, I mean, like everybody's on it. What did you think about Black Diamond? Yeah, just what you said. I thought it was a really epic song, too. Mm-hmm. It's like slow, but then it just comes in hard and, oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so Very cool. exciting. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, and it rounded out the main part of the concert. Again, we'll get to the song that, that, that it didn't. Actually, let's get to that now. Okay. So right before that is when Paul is going across, you know, across the crowds, you know, swinging to the uh, 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 to the back, the stage in the back. Well, he had to be called out there by the crowd. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he, he was, was saying, like, "I'm gonna come out and visit you, but you have to ask me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is so great. He's like, he's like, no, you think I'm kidding? He's like, I'm really, I'm gonna come out to the crowd, and keep going. Oh yeah, no, I, I mean. He he really did. He got on the the rope swing. Yeah. And he flew I don't know, probably a hundred feet over people's heads all the way to the other side of the auditorium. Yeah. And they they had this like tiny little stage set up out there. Yeah, and it's just him and he's doing his thing and while ever you know, the rest of the band is still on the main stage, you know, do, doing their thing. So this this brings up a point is that this concert now you'd never seen Kiss before. I don't even think 
I mean, you saw some concert stuff, like when we watched Kiss Exposed. But basically, a lot of what they did, including that swinging across the crowd and all that, which is awesome, a lot of that is stuff they have done in previous tours. This is very much like where they just took the best moments from, I think, all of their previous tours, and they just turned it into one show. You know, and I don't, and that's not a bad thing. I think that that's a great thing because no one else does this stuff. As I think you've gotten, Ellen, I think you've gotten a great uh, example that no one else does. I mean, Alice yeah. Cooper might have come the closest with his castle, you know, um, but no one else really does all this. And so, you know, just just putting that out there that that that's a way to sum up what is the end of the road tour like. It's basically like a greatest hits tour, not just of songs, but also of you know the tours themselves. So, but the song that he's doing when he does this is a little ditty that actually happens to be like pretty much their next to Beth, I think it's their biggest hit of all time. That is, I Was Made for Loving You off of 79's Dynasty. This is a song, a contentious song with some Kiss fans, because originally it's like a disco song. It Now, when you heard it, did it sound like disco? Kind of. Kind of. Well, I mean, they did have the disco ball, didn't they? They certainly did. They did. It uh-huh. had a disco beat to it. Yeah, they kind of owned that. Yeah, and the... <laughs> in the background, like, that's very... It seemed disco to me. Yeah. I mean, it was it was like a synthesis of disco and the Kiss rock and roll style. So, where would you rank this song in the night? This was my favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd never heard it before, had you? Yes, yeah, I've heard it before. Oh, okay, you have heard it before. All right, yeah, but this was, okay, so this is your favorite song of the night. Yes. I mean, tell me about it. Oh, I just, I think it's so much fun. Yeah. it's. I think it's beautiful, and it really does make you, like, want to dance when you hear it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially the way Paul Stanley was performing it. Like, he was dancing the whole time on his platform shoes. It just seemed, and, and the disco ball was going around, there were, it, it was, was a pretty was good amazing. touch of the disco yeah. ball. I'm going to give it that. So here's yeah. So here's the rub. Like, there's an album that came out after Revenge called Alive Three. So it's the third one. This came out in '93, and they do this song "I Was Made for Loving You" on that. And if that were the version of "I Was Made for Loving You," that'd probably be my favorite Kiss song as well, um, because they take out the. Like, if you hear the original version off of Dynasty, there is definitely, like, a, 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 a disco beat underneath. As to where on Alive 3, they just turn it into a straight rock song, you know, and, and, and it, you know, none of that. And there's, you hear all the uh, fireworks going off, which we certainly heard during during this tour as well. Oh, yeah, um, yeah it, it, it's a great song. You can't help but get into it, it, you know, and I think that's why it's one of their biggest hits. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this was Song of the Night for you. Yeah, for I was sure. made for loving you. It's such a sweet song, too. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, it's it's nice. It's, it's definitely, you know, it's, what a great message. Fuck yeah. It's very loving. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think I, I might have to give it Song of the Night as well. Because, <gasps> what? well, out of all the live albums, it, wow. it's also my favorite song off of, well, okay, that's not exactly true. Take It Off is my favorite live, off of a live three as well, I, but... They didn't do that here, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I thought I was made for love, and yeah, it was great. I, I got to give it song of the night. I mean, I was I was really pleased with some of the things that, like, I I'm glad they did. I love it loud and War Machine. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they did say yeah. I wish they did other songs off those albums. I could talk about the songs I wish they did, but we'll get into that in a second. 
Um, but anyway, so they did I Was Made for Love, and you've got the crowd all excited. Then they do Black Diamond, and they bring it all down. But everybody's still excited after Black Diamond. You know they're going to do encores. Now, encores today in concerts are kind of... Are, now, it's not always true, but they're often considered obligatory. Usually you did it because the crowd just wouldn't go home, and they just keep begging for more. Today, often enough, it's just something that you do. It doesn't matter what the crowd's doing. Now, I'd say they're obligatory, but... We, you and I, Ellen, we know better mm-hmm. because the first time we saw Hailstorm, oh no, the crowd was walking out like before the show was over. Yeah, I think they were upset because it was a standing room and we, like, they had already had yeah, the three or four band. acts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, people were, were, were like ready to go, no one was asking for more, and so Hailstorm didn't give them more. I was shocked that they didn't do an encore, I couldn't believe it. Um, you and I are both huge Hailstorm fans, uh, so it was kind of disappointing. But uh, regardless of that, I mean, I understand why they why they didn't do it. It's because the crowd wasn't wasn't giving a shit about it, and right on. So encores aren't always a given. But this crowd was certainly wanting more, and Kiss ended up really doing three encores. Uh, basically, they come out and they keep the tone with Black Diamond, which kind of breaks things down a little bit. And Eric Singer comes out and does uh, does Beth, which what tell what do you think about this song? Like, give me because I, I I there's two camps on Beth, you know this is their biggest song ever, and it was a B side. It's an amazing little story, but there's two camp two two lines of thinking on this. Tell me your line of thinking on Beth. So, from what I can tell, Beth is a song about how this guy is in love with someone, but he's always with the band, mm-hmm. and he can't be there for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very, like, somber and sad song, and it's kind of sweet, but it just doesn't fit in with their style at all. It's sure. it's like a really bizarre one-off. Um, I mean, it's sweet, and it does, like, it sounds beautiful, but I wouldn't rank it amongst my favorite Kiss songs. Yeah, I, I seem to remember you making, like, a comment ly- about the lyrics. Like, you know, me and the boys will be playing all night, and, like, he's not going home to his gal, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, like, why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. If you're really in love, why? Right, right. <laughs> I remember you saying that, and, and and I think that's a great point to bring up. I think a lot of people just hear, like, the sweetness of, like, the overall tone mm-hmm. of it, and so they just, you know, they, they like it a lot for that. Um, but, yeah, when you dig into the lyrics a bit, it's like, Wow, what a dick, right? I mean, yeah. or is, is that... Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like, you know, he's not... He's more interested in being with the boys in the band writing music than he is with this person he's in love with. Yeah, yeah. And I and I agree with your comment completely. It doesn't fit in at all with their catalog. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not, like, I just don't care. You know, I remember growing up, my sister, she was a big Kiss fan as well. Um, she loved this song. And, and like, another, there's another song called Hard Luck Woman, which I'm sure as fuck glad they didn't play that, because it's basically, it sounds like a country song. Uh, I, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. This is, yeah, I'm just, I'm not a fan of this song. I get I mean, it. Yeah, I get it, too. Like, it does sound like a romantic song. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a love song. Yeah. And there's some sweetness to it. Yeah. But I couldn't get down with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I... Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's just an oddity. I mean, I recognize that it gave Kiss a lot of their success, 
back in the day, and we probably wouldn't have what we have from Kiss if it wasn't for the song Beth. But I don't, it's obligatory. They had to do it, obviously, on their quote-unquote final tour, quote-unquote, because uh, this is not Kiss's first time claiming to be a final tour. Uh, anyway, then they do, uh, they come out for another and they do, do you love me? Cause the whole band comes out because for Beth, it was just Eric Singer coming out and doing it. And they do, do you love me? That's one. I get it. Like it's a 70s song. You know, that's something maybe people didn't, didn't expect to hear. Uh, and then of course, after that, they have to do the song that they have to end every fucking concert with, which is rock and roll all night. You know? Another classic? It's a classic. It's for KISS fans, and maybe even culturally, not on the billboard, but culturally, it's their it's their song. Like, that's the song they're going to be remembered for, whether I like it or not. Um, I mean, it's the big deal, you know. Um, Paul Stanley has even said, he says, the last song we'll ever perform is that. And, you know, like, when they're finally done and they're literally hanging up the boots, that's the end. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, it's fun. The crowd gets into it. You know, there's, I mean, at the concert, there was, you know, balloons dropping everywhere, confetti all over the place. I mean, it was just one of the biggest presentations you'll ever see. It was a party. It was a party. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what that song's all about, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, I'm going to do them the respect of seeing them perform their final song on their final tour, but. I could just as easily walk out when that song starts playing, you know, because it's just like, all right, all right whatever, you know, heard it a million times. Um, fan of the song, Ellen? I mean, I don't know that I'd say, f- I mean, yeah, it is the, ki- it is the kiss song. Right. Um, right. And of course I know it like almost every word of yeah. the song, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, I think that song might be responsible for why I kind of just blew off Kiss for the longest time. Yeah. Because I I hear that song over and over again, and I'm, like, annoyed that I've heard it so many times. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, being more acquainted with their live stuff was really interesting. I think they have a lot... I guess what I'm trying to say is that a lot of their music is better than that song. Yes. Not that it's bad. Yeah. But... No, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. And and actually, I can. I'm really glad you said that because I can see that that they're they're trying to appeal to the '70s base that they've had forever. You know, like the fans that were listening in the '70s and everything. And I mean, I I understand. Like Paul and Paul Paul Stanley has come out and said, you know, look, we did two new albums in you know 2011, 2014. They didn't do a million records, or they didn't do however many records. And so, by his estimation, nobody wants, or not enough people at least, want new Kiss music. And people aren't interested in that, and so they just stick with the old stuff. That's a shame, because I think their newer stuff... uh, Another album that wasn't represented here at all was... uh, I mean, it's kind of an album, but... Anyway, it's oh shit! Now I'm trying. I'm trying to think of what the hell. The, <laughs> see, that's how much it's not an album. I can't even think of the name. It's called like the recording sessions. It's called Carnival Souls. It has great music on it. It sounds like more grungy stuff again because it, it did come out in the '90s, and like Gene Simmons basically came right out and said he wanted to kind of like do like a Smashing Pumpkins kind of album uh, back then. And you know, if people heard that. And they're like, wow, what the hell's that? You know, they, they wouldn't expect it to be Kiss, but I feel like you could get a lot of new Kiss fans 
if you didn't just stick with fucking rock and roll all night and a lot of this other stuff. I mean, a lot of it still sounds good and it's still enjoyable to hear, but yeah, I, I get it. I mean, it's iconic. Yeah, it's that's iconic. That's what people want. Yeah, I mean, and and the, to make it worse, so when they're done doing rock and roll all night, they play "God Gave Rock and Roll to You." Not not they didn't play it; they played over the speakers. You know, like like they're playing the the album cut of it. The the band's not playing. And I was like, well, fuck, I wish they would have performed that song. Like, th- that would have been that would have been great. That's off of Revenge. That's a tremendous fucking song. I mean, and, and it's kind of a re-recording on their part. But, I, I, yeah, I, I wanted, there, there were, I'll admit it, there were a lot of things that, I mean, and you could say there's a ton of Kiss songs you would have loved to have heard. But in covering, in them trying to cover as much history as possible, there's whole albums that they ignored, and I really wish that they didn't do that. I understand why they did it. I get it, because the average person there isn't going to know those fucking songs. But that, I'm impressed at some of the songs that made it in, but then there's plenty from albums that were still big that they just, they completely ignored, and I, I don't know. Like, I, or from the, even from the 70s, I would have loved it if they did. Like, at the, at the opening of this show, I, I called you the Headlight Queen. That's from King of the Nighttime World. That's a great song from the 70s. I mean, very exciting, very happy-go-lucky. Granted, it is about a guy getting a blowjob, you know, like in the front of his car and the headlight <laughs> shining on it. And that's why, you know, he's the King of the Nighttime World and you're my headlight queen, meaning that, you know, she's on her knees and you can see the shadow in the headlight of her, you know, sucking his cock. And like, you know, I... Wow, thanks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I shouldn't have said what that meant. <laughs> but, well, I, I feel so honored. <laughs> uh, but, um, as I understand it, oh, like one of their, anyway, there's a story around that song that that a woman saw that happening, mm-hmm. and she told the story to one of the members of Kiss, and that's where they came up with the lyrics. So uh, anyway, whatever. Okay, we're not. <laughs> I feel so bad. No, not really, but <laughs> um, but yeah, but like that song should have been there from the seventies. That that's kind of the big one that I thought if there's gonna be one from the seventies that should have been there, that I would have taken out. Do you love me? Hundred thousand years. I would have taken out all those because they're not really deep cuts. People know those fucking songs. Um, so just if you're gonna stick with the hits, then really go with the hits. Uh, but. Yeah, there, there, there were just a ton of songs I would have loved to have heard. I think they should have done Domino, um, I, I, off of Revenge. There's a lot of stuff from the '80s that they should have done, and it just it wasn't it wasn't there. I'm not surprised, but it wasn't there. What do you got? Well, maybe the fact is that there are just too many Kiss songs that you like, and they couldn't have fit all of them into one concert. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right, and I, and I get that, and they really, they do have such a huge catalog. Like, I don't know how KISS did it. You know, when you listen later on in this episode, and I'm doing my um, my album ranking and breakdown, you're going to realize how much KISS music there is out there, and yeah, you can't possibly encapsulate it all. But with 20 songs, you could have picked, like, they could have done a song, like, like they, they just start going down the albums and just pick a song from each one. You know, and and just do one song from each album, but do all, do one song from all of the albums, you know. And I think they could have pulled that off, and that would have been really enjoyable. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. There was just a part of me that felt like salt in the wound when they ended it off with God gave rock and roll to you, but they didn't actually perform it. And I was like, man, come on. Like, couldn't you have done that? But anyway, you know, that's the nature of of just about any concert. You're not going to get everything that you want. You're not going to hear everything that you want. But overall, I mean, did this, let me ask you this. Did this turn you into a Kiss fan? I mean, this is like, make you go wow no actually yeah this band's fucking great I mean, oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> there's a little gene simmons there <laughs> uh yeah so so it did yeah i thought it was such a fun concert uh i really had a great time and i would love to do it again although this is you know their final tour um but yeah i mean it it definitely gave me an appreciation for what kiss is mm-hmm. as a band mm-hmm. yeah i mean i do think this again this 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 tour is supposed to go like three years they never i don't think they ever revealed like every tour date over that three years and i was thinking well we got to go because i mean it, it makes so much more sense to like go to boston yeah. you know or something closer near you know something more nearby uh philadelphia was literally like the closest one we could go to and but I get the sense that actually they are going to end up coming back because right now they're going around the world like they're in Russia, Europe, all that. Um, I get the sense that they're going to actually probably in this three year tour, they're going to come back to America. They're going to end it in America uh, and they probably will have more East Coast dates. So we might end up seeing them again. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's that's totally possible that that could end up happening. In fact, I think they already came back and maybe I think they come to think. I think they did Newark recently. Uh, if I remember looking at that correctly. So, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was uh, me having seen so many uh, uh, KISS concerts, be it a video or whatever, over the years. Um, I thought it was tremendous. I mean, I, I just thought it was it was a great showing. I have other than than, you know, I wish some songs were here and there. Uh, yeah, just a tr- tremendous showing. I didn't think that they had skipped a beat. Um, I get it that they want to go out on top, even though I think that they performed better than some bands where the members are only in their 50s. Hell, they performed better than some bands where the members are in their 20s. And, I mean, there was so much energy, so much excitement. Uh, I'm amazed that they've been able to do this for so long. Uh, and, yeah, I, I just, I know also this isn't the end of KISS. Like, there, there's going to be more. It's going to be new members, but there's going to be more. I just know that's going to happen. And so while Gene and Paul are certainly my favorites of the bunch and they're going to be gone, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like it's, uh, it doesn't really feel like it's over. And so, you know, I didn't like leave this like a bittersweet feeling or something like, oh shit, I'm never going to see this again or anything like that. For some reason, I, I, I just don't feel that. I don't know what, what is a, what causes that, what's surrounding that, but, uh, but that, that was, that there was, those are my thoughts on it. I just, I thought it was awesome. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, even though I have critiques, it was still great. Um, maybe, you know, out of thinking of just recent concerts we've gone to, Ellen, I mean, where would you rank this one? Probably not like the best one you've seen recently, but one of the better ones? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I want to say that this is like the best concert that we saw just based on the pure entertainment value. Of yeah. It. And the production. Yeah. Not that it was like my favorite band or they played my favorite songs or anything, mm-hmm. but it was, it was incredible to see. That's for sure. It was, I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, and I think that that's... If there's anything I'm going to miss, it's that no one else really does it like this. The only band I could think of... Now, I mean, it's not... In my life, it's not the best concert I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. To this day, the best concerts I've ever seen were actually by... Were, were Def Leppard uh, back when. I mean, they were just nuts. But next to, like, maybe Rammstein, I can't think of any other band that just puts on a, a fucking massive show, you know, like, like this. And so... Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm glad we got to. I'm glad we got to experience it together because I mean, it's really you know this is a rare thing. It used to be somewhat commonplace that you'd have big pyro and you know people putting on like this big show, but really no nobody does it like Kiss. And uh, yeah, I don't think anyone else will really ever do it that way again. Uh, no one else has that energy, and the and the music isn't as fun, you know. So that they they really can't. So anyway. Uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a fair way to put it. And any any closing comments you wanna you wanna make on it? I just thought it was super hot. The whole concert, super hot. Yeah, it was fiery. Woo! It was hot. Yeah, it was fiery. I love <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, uh, it certainly made for for an exciting night. It was a good start to it. If you you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about hot nights. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Uh, it happens a lot at these kinds of shows. All right, we won't go into that. But uh, yeah, anyway, that that was that was it was so much fun. Um, so all right, well we're gonna we'll take a break and then it'll. Uh, Ellen, thank you for being on the Hard and Fast podcast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and uh, I'll be back with uh, some classic content uh, where I'll be doing a complete ranking and discussion of all of Kiss's albums. Can you believe that shit? I can't either. Somehow I did. It was two and a half hours long. So we'll cut to that. And, uh, well, I'll end off the the 2019 content here with I'll see you on the other side. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, when you're going to your next rock show and need a hotel, don't forget to use booking.hardandfastpodcast.com. Booking.com gets you the best prices all around the world, no matter where your next rock show is, and is loaded with reviews so that you get the best rates and the best hotel rooms, because whoa, you never know who or how many people might be going back to your hotel room later that night, baby. Whoa. And if you use the URL booking.hardandfastpodcast.com, you'll get a $25 cash reward. Can you beat that? Again, use booking.hardandfastpodcast.com com to get $25 and the hottest rooms at the hottest prices booking.hardandfastpodcast.com and don't forget to put up the do not disturb sign baby all right let's get back to the show woo the golden stallion the man of tomorrow sabzu the rated r radio star here for well a little extra content Um, This is something that I actually got asked about recently, and it was, you know, to get asked about this, I mean, it's such a fun thing to talk about. I was like, well, how how the hell, why wouldn't I do this? (laughs) You know, and admittedly, I mean, you know, full disclosure here, of course, you know, I I never bullshit you guys ever, Uh, unlike I think a lot of other podcasters, um, you know, this is something that honestly, like I could talk about in my sleep uh, because it's so, so core uh, to my being. And what this is, is actually a ranking of every Kiss album ever. (laughs) Now, I'll break down in a second a little more about what I mean by that, because we're obviously not going to cover, like, every Kiss album, you know, like Greatest Hits and all that. But um, I I did, uh, let's see, boy, 
three, four months ago, however long ago it was, I did a ranking of every Star Trek movie ever made, and it was a wildly popular episode. Uh, in fact, I might eventually release it on YouTube just because people thought it was so damn good. Uh, and the person that emailed me about doing this uh, said the same, that they just, they really, really enjoyed that. And I'm getting new, you know, we're getting new patrons uh, in for Sovereign Tech literally every week. And I'm so honored by that. And so they're going back, you know, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of hours now of content available, almost 100 Patreon only episodes. And again, each of those episodes is usually, you know, well over an hour apiece. Um, so, you know, there's so much content to, to, to latch on to. Um, and a lot of people have been checking out a lot of the past content and people enjoy my reviews and all of that. Uh, so I'm really honored that you do. Uh, so... Yeah, I was like, all right, well, you know, if people have dug the, the rankings in the past, uh, then let's let's do the rankings here for, you know, one of the subjects that, you know, honestly, like in comparison to Star Trek or maybe like Star Wars or something like that, you know, might be as far as like, a, a, you know, pop culture loves, I guess you could say. I mean, Kiss is really at the top there, like, you know, as far as like things that, that are, you know, that have really... You know, I've, I've said this many a time. I mean, Star Trek raised me, you know, and in some ways Star Wars did too. Star Wars is more entertaining. Star Trek is really like, I mean, and, and I think Star Trek, <laughs> like, like this is a whole other conversation. And I don't think people totally realize this. Um, and I, and I, I think I've mentioned this a bit before in the past, but like Star Trek really is a, I think it's an ideological and cultural Trojan horse. Like people don't realize just how, and I mean, and it's not, look, it's not just a TV show. People don't realize just how much, like, that's really changing. Uh, I, I think that it, it changes, you know, hearts and minds of people um, and how much it's actually building the future and, like, how much it's, uh, that's that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it really is. It's a Trojan horse. Like, it, it, it is such a subversive uh, cultural phenomenon. And I I think it is... Well, you know, more so than anything else, uh, you know, I, it, it's going to, you know, 200 years in the future, and I, we're here to talk about KISS, so <laughs> I don't want to talk about Star Trek for much longer, but um, I think, you know, 100, 200 years in the future, I think people might look at, and you might think this sounds crazy, but I think people are really going to look back at Star Trek as being something like the Bible, like the Holy Bible, as far as being a cultural force that changed so much. I, I really think that's going to happen. A little prediction there for you. Now, people may not look back on Kiss in such a way, uh, but I think that Kiss certainly deserves, in the musical lexicon, uh, deserves a very high ranking, a very special place. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of your quote-unquote more serious you know, music critics and whatever would claim Kiss to be a band that is more uh, st that is style over substance. Um, I can respect that opinion. I can understand where that opinion comes from. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree. I mean, in a way, like I said, I do. I get it. I, like, I, underst I understand that point. But I think they are also a band that musically, like, there's, there's a lot to respect. There's a lot, of, there's a lot to respect in that substance, even if that substance, can, you know, can be simplistic at times. Um, we're talking about, you know, as we break these albums down, we're talking about a band that pretty much from, let's see, they started in 1974. That's when their first, their self-titled album came out. Uh, that, you know, for, for a few years there, they were actually coming out with like two albums a year, if not more. You know, from like 74, say, to 78, they had so many albums coming out. 
I mean, you know, literally in four years. I mean, yeah, a couple of them are, are you know, or at least one of them is a live album. The live two had, you know, had had uh, bonus tracks on it, which you know chalked up to a, pretty much a full, you know, re- original album. Um, you know, for for that time, for 1978, or for well, that came out in 77. But I mean, you know, you had like 12, 13 albums get released in four years. You know, that's crazy to have that kind of productivity. And it's not like, well, they, they blew their load in four years. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, for most people, their best music, uh, or not for most people, I shouldn't say that. Um, you know, for a lot of people, you know, some great music would continue to come out. I mean, honestly, you know, 30, 40 years later. So, <laughs> so it's not like they, they lost their touch. You know, by any means, some of their best sales would, uh, you know, would end up, you know, coming out over the following decade from that. Uh, so that, that's kind of crazy to say that. I mean, but it's just it's unbelievable just the the, the amount of music that this that this group has released. Um, and I think they're the number one American gold record selling, you know, uh, artist of all time, which that <laughs> After a fashion, that is a really important, you know, only bested by the Beatles uh, as far as internationally. But like that, that's a pretty important metric because today, you know, with music sales being practically non-existent, uh, you know, for most uh, most musicians, most artists, most groups, uh, bands, you know, gold albums are now the gold standard. Like platinum's practically fucking unheard of, you know, like that's platinum's almost a fluke, I think, even for the music industry today. Uh, and not to say that Kiss hasn't had a ton of platinum albums. They most certainly have. Uh, it's just obviously it looks good to say you're the number one, you know, American gold, uh, gold album selling, you know, band. I mean, that that's a hell of a metric to, to you know, to put out there. So, yeah, I, I, I really don't think that you can just write off Kiss as being style over substance. Obviously, there's a lot of music out there and a lot of it's great music. A lot of it charted very well, um, even if it took a little while after it was released to end up charting very well. But it did, uh, you know, certainly a band that that put live albums on the map um, for a while. I mean, it, you know, and to say and actually I'm going to do a separate breaking down as well. I'm going to include. So how this is going to work, OK, is that. I'm going to give, including live album and live albums and some greatest hits albums, because some of the greatest hits albums have a lot of songs on them that are great songs that should not be non not included in a list of greatest you know Kiss uh, uh, pieces of all time. So they're going to be in there. Uh, there's some greatest hits albums like Kiss 40, uh, Greatest Kiss, You Wanted the Best. I mean, like some of those I'm not going to include here because they don't really add a whole lot. Even though You Wanted the Best, I I do enjoy that because it has one of the rare live works. Um, by the late great Eric Carr, who replaced uh, Peter Peter Chris, we'll talk about that as we break down the albums. Um, but uh, and, and as far as live albums, you know, I'm going to do all the alive albums, of course. The, those are, and we'll cover beyond that. But um, I am going to do so. I'm going to include some of the greatest hits, some of the live albums. I am going to include them in the overall ranking of of each of each album or, you know, of, of, of all the Kiss albums. But at the end, I'm actually going to do a separate ranking of the live albums from Kiss. And then I'll do, like, greatest uh, greatest album, you know, just raw album over, uh, kind of overall. Or what I'm going to do is, at the end, I'm going to have, like, what is the best uh, greatest hits? I'm sorry. What's the best greatest hits to buy? 
by them. Like, if you could just buy one greatest hits, which one would you buy? Uh, of course, you can torrent this shit. So, you know, the, the, that kind of limitation and the purpose of doing a rank like that or, you know, ranking something like that is kind of moot. But whatever, if you wanted, like, what's that one Kiss album known? Uh, I'll tell you what that is. And, the, you know, as far as greatest hits. And then at the end, I wanted to be like, what is like the greatest Kiss, you know, retrospective album that you could possibly have out of them all, greatest hits or otherwise? Like, well, like, just what is the top album? Um, because it actually won't be this, that, that album that I just mentioned, which we'll end off with, is not the same as the best Kiss album ever. So I think those are important things to, to kind of break down. And I'll put all these in the show notes. Um, but I, I hope, you know, you'll want to hear why I ranked all of these things. Uh, like in the past, when I've done these kind of rankings, I've actually been reticent to include them, to include, you know, the actual listing of them in the show notes, because part of me was like, yeah, people are just going to look at it and say, okay, I disagree with them. And they're going to say, you know, fuck off. That's where I'd really like you to hear what, you know, why I chose uh, things this way. But at the same time, a lot of people said, it's like, oh, I, you know, I, I don't recall the name of what you listed off. Could you put it in the show notes? So I'm going to make sure this is all in the show notes. Uh, so it's going to be a long set of show notes because Kiss has had a lot, you know, a lot of albums, um, you know, o- over the years. And they're not, even though at times it seems like they're stopping, they're, you know, they're really, I don't think they're going to stop. Uh, Kiss is also, I think this is going to be, in fact, what was, I think it was the, the 2099 episode. I think so. Okay. So I did, um, I did Sovereign Tech 2099, a legendary episode of Sovereign Tech. It was literally the 99th episode um, of Sovereign Tech. And in that, I was in the fictional future. I was in the year 2099. And for uh, what was at the time was pick of the week. Now it's the climax. Uh, I actually talked about what I called Kiss 2 and Kiss 3. And what that was, you know, what, what the, this, this, you know, fictional argument of mine was, was about does Kiss 3, which has ended up being this like holographic version of Kiss, <laughs> of the original members and everything, were they better than Kiss 2, which what I, you know, again, this is all fictional. I said Kiss 2 was the, the band that ended up replacing, you know, Gene and Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Um, and so, you know, because I think that, and, and really Paul and Gene have said that they're going to do this, is that, yeah, Kiss is going to go on without Paul and Gene. Now, that might seem unheard of for a lot of people, but I really think that's going to happen. I think Kiss is bigger than the sum of its parts uh, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and I think that they're actually going to break that rule about, um, you know, they have to wear the certain makeup and everything. I think that's going to change. And my theory at the time on that episode, on that Cybertech 2099 episode, was based upon there was a, the fun little animated movie, uh, Kiss, Kiss Meets Scooby-Doo. And in that, there's a point where, like, Scooby and the gang, you know, they end up, go- I'm a huge Scooby-Doo fan, uh, Scooby and the gang, they actually end up going to, like, this, like, Kiss world. And there, there are a bunch of different people. They're all wearing kind of the kabuki, you know, makeup and everything. But there is, uh, th- like, there are a bunch of different, like, characters. It's not just, you know, the star child, the demon, uh, the celestial, you know, and the cat. Um, of course, Eric Carr would get to have his own, you know, his own makeup. He'd have the fox. Um, and Vinnie Vincent would end up with, you know, the magician. Like, he had the Ankh on his, which I thought was a really cool makeup style, and I'd love to see it come back. Um, but anyway, so, so you know, I think that's going to be a thing. So Kiss, you know, this isn't, like, over. You know, this isn't final. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure in the future I'm going to have to do a new ranking because I think there's going to be Kiss albums literally for the next 100 years uh, that will keep coming out. 
So keep that in mind uh, that that eventually I, you know, I do plan on there's going to be more of these just by, you know, the nature of, of what KISS does. Um, so why don't we, why don't we start breaking into it? I, again, this is, this was tough. Um, like the first five are easy for me to do. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I instantly know what my favorite kiss albums are. Uh, and you know, but then, you know, breaking it down later on, yeah, it gets a little harder to, you know, to kind of, kind of choose which one, you know, which ones end up becoming your favorite, but this is, you know, effectively a complete, you know, breakdown, uh, and ranking of every kiss album to ever come out. Uh, now it is important to remember that of course, kiss is a unique band or not unique. It is one of the rare bands that really has multiple stages to the band. Uh, one can think of like Deep Purple, which has like, you know, Deep Purple Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 3, Mark 4, Mark 5. And like now, what are they on? Mark 6 or something. Um, you know, where you have different versions of the band. Kiss really did have different versions of the band. Not so much that the band members really changed the tone. Like as in, as they bring in new band members, you know, like Bruce Kulick or Eric Carr uh, or Eric Singer, you know, or Mark St. John or Vinnie Vincent or whatever. Not so much. Well, Vinnie Vincent, there's an argument to be made there, but not so much that they changed the style, uh, you know, of, of the band so much. You know, the, the band would change with the style of the times, really. But that you had like really different eras in that, you know, again, that that Kiss style would would change. Not the style necessarily the music so much but just like the style of what the band presented, you know, on stage. I mean, it's always top notch, always an amazing stage show and things like this, but you have the time where kiss was a real mystery when they had the makeup on. And then they had their big moment, you know, in uh, what ended up, what was the 1980, 81, 80 or 82. Uh, was it, or was it, was it 80? Let's yeah. I, I guess it would end up being 82 or 83 uh, more particularly when lick it up came out. So when in 83, you know, they had that thing on MTV where they did the big reveal and they took off the makeup and you finally saw, you know, what Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, of course, Peter Chris and Ace Fraley weren't part of the band at the time. Um, but you finally saw what they looked like. And so that was huge. And then, you know, fast forward all the way to 1996, 97, they put the makeup back on. And so you kind of have th- at least three different, three to four different versions of kiss. Like already, <laughs> you know, I mean, Paul and Gene are always there, but then, you know, there's somewhat of a revolving door, even though there's, there are times of great stability, certainly in the eighties and early nineties, uh, you know, when it ended up being Eric Carr, who would end up dying, unfortunately, uh, due to a battle with cancer and would be replaced by Eric Singer, but she had, you know, Bruce Kulick there and, uh, and that was pretty good. So anyway, um, you know, keep in mind that there is that, that certain, that breakdown of, of how that, you know, how you know, there's the makeup era and there's the non-makeup era. Uh, admittedly for me, I'll just put this right out there and this might not be popular with a lot of people, but I don't give a shit. Um, I am a much bigger fan of the non-makeup era of kiss than I am of the makeup era. So you're going to see that reflect admittedly in, in my ranking, but that's enough. Why don't we just start talking about it? Let's break into it. So actually, I'm going to do this a little weird. Uh, normally, you know, on a, on a top 10 list or something like that, which this is way more than 10, uh, normally you start off with the least, you know, with kind of the worst album. Um, because at the end, I'm going to do, you're, you know, we're going to do another breakdown and we're going to end up kind of with the ultimate, you know, sort of Kiss album, really. Um, I'm actually going to start with number one. I'm going to start with my, you know, as far as ranking, I'm going to start off with my favorite. And then we'll go all the way down to uh, to, to the least uh, in this case. So it is, yeah, we, we are, I am doing it, you know, somewhat in reverse. But anyway, here we go. 
So the number one album, and this is probably going to shock, and I bet, like I, I really bet there is nobody else on the planet that would probably put this as their number one, your, you know, as their favorite Kiss album of all time, uh, what they consider, you know, the best. Uh, now, you know, this is kind of important. Before I say what it is, I want, I want, to, I want to break this, this little bit of, uh, of info down. With any Kiss album, Except for maybe, you know, not counting live or greatest hits albums. I can only think of two albums where like there's really more than say like three genuinely great classic songs. You know, usually it's three, maybe four, you know, and, and depending on, especially like, you know, Kisses, you know, their earlier work, say from, well, really when to, you know, understand they were coming out with an album of some type every year from 1974 all the way up to, to 1985 or, or 1986. And then what is it in, in 87, um, the, you know, they had a very brief, <laughs> you know, they kind of took like, like one year or so 1986, I should say 1986 is the year that they took off. So from 74 to, to 85, like 11 years, there was so much kiss content coming out. Um, there was a, you know, effectively at least an album almost every year, if not more than that, when you count the, you know, the 78 Kiss solo albums, which each one was really a Kiss album, uh, regardless of it being billed as a solo. Uh, you know, we'll talk about more, more of those when, when we get to them. So, but, you know, in that from, you know, from 74 to 85, pretty much every album had like, you know, as far as like great songs, there's like three great songs and the rest are still very good. They're just not like that great, you know, charting song. Um, Destroyer might be the, you know, might, might, might be the outlier on that. Maybe Love Gun. Revenge, which would be after that 85 date. Revenge, uh, you know, of course, came out uh significantly, you know, significantly later uh, than that. Uh, you know, Revenge would end up coming out in, that would have been 1992. Um, but those, like those three albums maybe had, you know, more than three or four really great songs. Uh, but keep in mind, or like I was going to say with, you know, everything pre 85, you know, the albums were generally like maybe eight, nine tracks. Uh, maybe they'd get into 10 or 11, you know, afterwards then they, they would get into, you know, kind of longer albums, but keep that in mind that, you know, it really comes down to how do you chart a great Kiss album? Most of the time, I mean, there's an overall flavor that you get, you know, kind of with, with the, the more, you know, uh, metal that, or rock that's, that, you know, that, that's, that surrounds an album. Uh, but generally, you know, you're going to be basing it upon, you know, three or four really great songs. And, you know, they're really great songs. Like, they're fucking amazing songs. So, you know, it's like usually, you know, one of those three songs or, you know, those those three songs are some of the greatest rock ever written, just, you know, straight up. Uh, and certainly some of the sexiest, which that's, you know, keep in mind my, you know, part of my deep passion for, for Kiss, um, you know, is the amount of sexy that that they deliver, like that they are they're completely unabashed in, in, you know, in pushing forward the fact that the gospel of rock and roll is absolutely about sex, you know. Um, and not even about the, the drugs and, <laughs> I mean, it certainly is about the rock and roll, but not even so much about the drugs. Cause of course, Paul Stanley and certainly Gene Simmons, even more so are notoriously teetotalers, you know, but they're one of the greatest rock acts of all time, 
you know, and certainly some of the greatest parties in the world ever, you know, were, were, were held at their concerts. Uh, so, which is an interesting dynamic, certainly. And they're not the only ones that are like that. There's a lot of people, a lot of bands that a lot of people don't realize where sort of, you know, the, the, the major guys involved are, are actually teetotalers. Um, you know, you think, for example, like Twisted Sister, uh, you know, J.J. JJ French and, you know, D. Snyder, like, you know, they're, they're notoriously clean. Uh, as far as, you know, as far as that stuff goes, I'm not knocking anybody that does, you know, that stuff. And, and certainly one can make an interesting case. How does drugs affect rock and roll? Uh, you know, that that's that's a hell of a conversation to have, because, you know, then there's there's bands that not like Gene and Paul were or at least certainly with Gene, where who was a major creative thrust where like they never did drugs or drank. Um, but then you have, but then you have bands where what happens after they clean up, suddenly they lose a lot of their creative chops, it seems. Well, (laughs) you know, and I know people would take issue with the phrase clean up and that's fine. I understand, you know, your concerns around that and that's, you know, I, I totally get it, but we're not here to talk about that. So, all right. So my, my favorite Kiss album, enough the tease is 1985s. Again, it's the end of that long run, that run from 74 to 85, where they're coming out with at least one, two albums a year. It was Asylum, which was the, you know, just, it was, it was the end of that run. And, and I, I think there's, there might be something to that, like why they needed to take a break for a year after, you know, after um, Asylum. One could make the argument that the reason they took a break in 1986 was because, you know, Asylum still did like double platinum. I mean, it it still sold like crazy. You know, they didn't have any problem with that, but maybe they felt that their concert sales weren't doing very well or, you know, something was going on. They needed to to take a little bit of a break, maybe do a little bit of a rebranding, which we might get into with with the follow up to Asylum. But whatever the case, Asylum was, was really an end of an era because, like I said, every year you had some kind of Kiss album coming out for 11 years, you know, right up into that. And Asylum has, I mean, in my opinion, it has far more than just three great songs, but you can easily point to three great songs off of the album. Um, Now, Asylum is part of the non-makeup era, obviously being in 85. um, And the non-makeup era at the time, Gene Simmons was really taking a break, was kind of, or well, yeah, he was really taking a break from the band. Um, he was trying to pursue an acting career, a producing career. You know, he was doing like uh, Simmons Records or whatever. Um, I mean, there was like a, there was a whole bunch of different things that Gene was trying to do. And I can really respect that. In fact, I mean, it, if you're wondering who's my favorite uh, 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 member of, of KISS, obviously it's Gene Simmons. I mean, just, you know, Paul Paul's really close, really up there. But Gene Simmons is just is the man, in my opinion. Um but and I can really respect like that desire to want to do so many things to not just have one creative outlet. I feel that all the time, um, and I and I try to uh, satiate and satisfy. I should say uh, that you know that 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 uh, desire you know to have so many creative outlets. So at the time, you know, Gene's he's doing his acting. Was he in Runaway Right? I think he was in an episode of Miami Vice. I mean, you know, he's kind of all over the place and. Uh, and so he, you know, Paul, Paul Stanley was really the driving force in KISS at the time and the main creative uh, uh, contributor. And so, the st- you know, the musical style was different. Yeah, you know, there's the fact that, you know, the 80s was the whole hair metal, glam metal, whatever um, era. And so they were trying to match up with that to some degree, which, you know, understand, it's not like they're trying to match up with it. They created, you know, effectively that genre, you know, like the hypersexualized um you know, all, all the makeup and everything. I mean, you know, they took that to its, to its ultimate heights. 
so it's not like they were being copycats. So, but Paul was really, you know, kind of given free reign. He didn't have Ace. You know, Ace Frehley wasn't in the band anymore. Peter Chris wasn't in the band anymore. And Gene Simmons was not against being in Kiss. He was just off kind of doing his own thing. So he was, you know, the creative driver. And so, you know, it ended up, he, he just, th- you know, Paul thrived in this environment at the t- musical environment, certainly in the metal scene at the time where, you know, everything was just over the top, you know, kind of ridiculous, crazy guitar solos. And of course, you know, Paul Stanley's a, a fine guitarist in his own right. Um, and just, you know, kind of almost this flamboyance. Now that, that term often gets used to describe gay. A lot of people wonder, is Paul Stanley gay? I wouldn't be shocked if he was bisexual. I'm not here to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, he, he definitely got to live it up and, and, and play up a lot of things that I, I think he was really into. I mean, it, like it's, so for example, it's notorious that Paul at like parties and everything, you know, like to, like to dress up as one of the ladies and whatever. And Hey, you know, do your thing, man. I think that's, that's fucking awesome. So anyway, so this is the time that really allowed Paul to, to, you know, to take it to the top. And, and I think at the time for the style that was going on, you know, all the fluorescence, all the bright colors, you know, the eighties, I think that that kiss like beat everybody at that. Uh, again, partly because they were the progenitors of it, but also, I mean, they just like Paul Stanley just, you know, this was his thing. And like, he just, I don't know, he just exemplified and, uh, and, uh, exacerbated like all of these different attitudes, the sexiness, I mean, the, the whole thing. And so the kind of the big three songs from Asylum, uh, would end up being Who Wants to Be Lonely. Uh, then there was Uh, All Night, literally Uh, U-H, uh, exclamation point, All Night. And the very popular song, I mean, at the time, like this was a smash fucking hit, was uh, Tears Are Falling. And, you know, if you watch, there's a great DVD. I, I should have done like a ranking of DVDs because also Kiss has not just some of the, you know, one of the largest album counts of any band in history. They have one of the largest home video releases count of anybody in history because it is, you know, they are as much as they are an audio, uh, uh, you know, act. They are a very visual act. And so, you know, that lends itself to having a lot of home video releases, right? Uh, my favorite home video release from Kiss is definitely Kiss Exposed. Um, and in that you get a lot of the music videos, especially from the eighties. And, you know, you see the videos for tears are falling for who wants to be lonely for, uh, all night. The, I mean, the video for who wants to be lonely is probably my favorite kiss video, music video of all time, uh, with lick it up, you know, kind of, kind of getting close with that. But, um, I, I just love that music video. And I mean, there's just women everywhere in leather and everything, you know, and they're all dancing around in like in this bathhouse with like showers going and all this. I mean, it's, it's fucking, it's wild, <laughs> you know? And, and that album, that whole album of Asylum just exudes that attitude. You know, it's just, it's pouring out of it. Um, so, you know, tears are falling all night. Who Wants to Be Lonely? I mean, there's other, King of the Mountain, I think, is a great song. Trial by Fire. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of great, you know, songs on that album, in my opinion. Like, I think it's track for track. I listen to the whole thing all the time. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think it took everything that made Kiss so great, brought it to, a, it also brought it to a highly technical level, because at the time, this is when you would end up with, kind of the, the second great, the second greatest maybe version of, of Kiss where it's, um, you know, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Bruce Kulick taking over for Ace Fraley or what actually was Vinnie Vincent, then Mark St. John, who ended up with a medical condition that he couldn't play. Um, any longer, he was, he was only on the one album, Animalize, which Asylum was the sequel to. 
And then, uh, you know, and then you had, of course, Eric Carr at the time. And then, you know, you end up with Eric Singer later on. But really, I think that 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 four is like the greatest lineup of Kiss was Eric Carr, Bruce Kulick, um, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. And Asylum was the start of that. Uh, and it, and it's, it's such a great album. Like, I mean, it, it, and it, it just shows not, I mean, Gene was off doing his own, own thing, but just how tight musically they were. And you just, you get it totally on display. I mean, this is t- the best technical, uh, you know, that, 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 that kiss technical presentation that kiss ever brought, put on, um, in my opinion with maybe the second album on this list being the, the one that, that would be a runner up to it. Uh, that, you know, that one could argue is actually kind of the best technical presentation. But I mean, there's, you know, there's complexity to the music, which is not commonplace uh, in most Kiss albums. It's there in other Kiss albums, but it's not the most common thing. Uh, I just, I think Asylum is so good. You know, the, the, the style that it brings on, the substance that it has, the songs are so obviously, you know, I mean, just over the top sexual, which is exactly what, in my opinion, you want out of a Kiss album. Uh, it's a very positive album, you know, and there's not really, and this is the other thing I like about it too. Now I, Kiss has awesome ballads. I love Kiss's ballads, but there's not a ballad on this fucking album. Not one. And I think that's great. You know, I mean, it's pre the two precursors to Asylum, they didn't have ballads on them either, okay? And they probably didn't because that was a style that was selling for them at the time uh, because Lick It Up was such a huge success for them after really what, it, you know, were sadly some failures. Um, and then Animal Eyes was also a huge hit uh, that, that that too also, you know, did, didn't have any of those. Um, but I really like the fact that there wasn't a ballad on there. This is just a balls-out cheesy fucking album. And I, I, you know, I, I think that's fucking, I think that's great. Uh, so anyway, um, asylum is definitely the, the, the number one, uh, pick here in my opinion, you know, just it's the album I go to over and over again. And that I listen to all the time. And even, you know, the music videos for it equally are the best. Uh, not that that necessarily should count towards an album, but you know, that it's, it's worth mentioning. So, all right. Number two is, and this is tough because these two albums, like I can imagine times where I'd feel that the album I'm about to mention would actually be my number one, but then Asylum would just be number two. It would never really fall any further than that. Uh, and this is, for a lot of people, this is one of their favorite albums, and some people consider it to be a return to form, not with putting the makeup back on, but just with like, you know, kind of more like a mixture of their classic attitude and yet their 80s technicality, uh, you know, that they would deliver. And that is 1992's Revenge. And this is absolutely a great fucking album, regardless if you're a Kiss fan or not. I think to appreciate Asylum, you have to be a Kiss fan. Like you, you've got it. You've got to love what Kiss brings to the table. As to where I think Revenge, if you've never heard a Kiss, if you had no idea, in fact, if you never heard a Kiss, if you, if like suddenly you just list, you put this album on today. I think it holds up so well. I think you'd instantly think, you know, who is this band of of twenty somethings? you know, that I'm listening to when really, you know, they were well into their like forties <laughs> or, you know, or late thirties, uh, you know, when they ended up making this album. I mean, this is so far, you know, this is 20 years into their career, uh, which is unheard of to come up with an, to come out with an album that would get received so well by critics, so well by fans stands up so well, even to this day, you know, still sounds so perfect and good, uh, you know, for it to be 20 years into your career, that's 
That's crazy. I don't know many people. Maybe Aerosmith could make that claim. I don't even think Metallica can make that claim. I don't, you know, I don't, I really don't know how many bands could make that claim that you come out with your arguably your best album. And I say arguably, it's not my favorite, but you come out with arguably your best album by every metric 20 years into your career. That's nuts. Yeah, maybe Judas Priest could pull that off. I don't know. But anyway, Revenge, I mean, this is, you're not just talking three songs. There are so many great fucking songs um, on this album. You know, it's nuts. I mean, you've got uh, Heart of Chrome, of course, is is an app. Uh, well, I'm not even starting off with the big ones. <laughs> okay. So uh, you have, un- it, the, the album starts off with Unholy. Amazing song. Um, you know, amazing song. And, and most of these songs all ended up with videos too, incredibly, but that's because they were all kind of hits. Uh, so you start off with Unholy. Then you go into Take It Off. Okay, then what is, is it? Spit after that. Um, then you go into Domino. You know, then you've got uh, Tough, uh, yeah, Tough Love. Um, oh man, you know, then God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too, which of course was, a um, that was originally a song, not on, Re- it wasn't originally for Revenge, but it was Bob Ezrin produced, which Bob Ezrin, of course, was, you know, kind of the producer for Destroyer, some of Kiss's biggest albums. So it's interesting that Bob Ezrin comes back and suddenly they come out with this great album, right? Which Bob Ezrin is obviously a, you know, legendary producer, worked with Alice Cooper, Deep Purple, all of them. Uh, definitely one of my favorite producers in the industry uh, and just a great guy to, to ever, you know, listen to he's, he's, and hang out with. He's phenomenal. Um, but, you know, he, they did God Gave Rock and Roll to You too. Uh which is kind of a remake of, of another song. Was, was that from Slade or Angel? I think it was Angel. That was on the uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey uh, soundtrack, which Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, you know, big hit, whatever. Um, so they end up going and, you know, they go and do Revenge and they put that song on there. So, of course, that song, you know, shows up and it's fantastic. Then you have Thou Shalt Not, Heart of Chrome. Um, there's at the end of it, there's the Eric Carr jam from 1980. Uh, was that, is that the 1981 Eric Carr jam where it's just Eric Carr just kind of like doing his little thing, uh, which was really cool because this would be the first album without Eric Carr and they bring on Eric Singer. Uh, then you, uh, another great song is I Just Wanna, which has the funny like play on words where it's I Just Wanna Forget You. You know, like the the song is called I Just Wanna. And it sounds like the lyrics are saying, or, or what the lyrics are saying is I Just Wanna Forget You. But the way that Paul Stanley sings it, they break up the word forget into forget. And it sounds like I Just Wanna Fuck. And <laughs> and when you listen to live versions of the songs, you know, a lot of that song, uh, generally, you know, depending on the time frame that you're listening to it, uh, they don't really perform that song much anymore. Uh, but Paul will actually say, I just want to fuck, you know, so you know that the joke, like it's, it's a total in joke. It's kind of like Britney Spears. If you see gamey, it's, uh, you know, if you fuck me, like that's, that's what the song's saying. Right. And it's, so that, I mean, that song's just high energy, a lot of fun. Um, so the only week, like literally, I think this album is track for track. Obviously, the Eric Carr jam, you don't really count that as a song. That's just on there for posterity to include Eric Carr as part of it. Uh, and, and that's a beautiful thing for a band to do. The only weak song on here is, is Gene's Paralyze. And Gene did, you know, kind of reinsert himself. Like he, you know, he started getting rededicated uh, to Kiss with this album. 
Uh, and, and you can tell because, you know, that kind of that classic badass style that Gene generally b- brings us to where Paul, you know, it's all about the flamboyancy, you know, and over the top and everything. You know, Gene's badassery kind of comes back. But ironically, he also has the only weak song on the album. The only the only thing that keeps it from being like absolutely perfect and unquestionably the greatest Kiss album of all time uh, is the fact that Paralyze is a really weak song. Like, I mean, it, in fact, it sucks. Like, it, it's a it's a sh- I don't I, I almost never listen to it. I just think it's a shitty song. You know, there you go. The other Gene songs on there, Unholy, Domino, all, I mean, they're the best Kiss songs ever written. You know, I mean, some of the best anyway. But Paralyze is just pure shit. <laughs> it's so bad, which maybe that's why I give it the number two slot, just because I can't forgive that song. It's just terrible. It is, that is undeniably, in my opinion, the worst Kiss song of, of them all. I mean, it, it, even worse than the Kiss theme, which that's actually a song, the Kiss theme. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it's even worse than the songs, than every song on the elder paralyzed is so bad. Uh, so, I mean, it's like, it's total filler. I can't believe they let it on there. I don't understand why they let it on there because it cheapens the rest of the album. I would have left it off. Uh, I don't know. Gene must've felt some need to have that on there, but otherwise all the songs on there are great. In fact, little known fact, and I didn't realize this until recently. So something I've talked about is. Uh, a guy that I, I recently discovered who I kind of knew of in the past because he was in Alice Cooper's bands for two of Alice Cooper's best albums, Raise Your Fist and Yell and Constrictor. Um, and I've talked about this on Sovereign Tech because when I found out about the guy, he was all I could talk about. Uh, and that being Kane Roberts, who was a guitarist, you know, music writer. Now he's a video game designer, but from the 80s or, or from the early, you know, late 80s, early 90s, um, he had his two albums or, well, he technically has three, and he's working on a fourth. But he had his two big albums, which was his self-title, Kane Roberts, and then he had Saints and Sinners, which came out, was at 91. He co-wrote uh, my favorite song off of Revenge, which is Take It Off, which, ironically, Take It Off and Domino at the time, and this is a very important fact to, to understand, at the time in 1992 and 93 were the number one and number two songs in the world for strip clubs, like straight up, like it was just known that they were the number one and number two songs at strip clubs. Um, believe me, there are metrics for that. And, <laughs> and that's awesome. I mean, how cool is that? You know, like fuck being top 40, you know, or, you know, fuck being on the billboard. If you're the number one and number, you have the number one and number two stripper songs in the world, you're killing it, man. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're taking it. And I had no idea that, you know, take it off is, you know, I mean, what's your, like, what's your favorite Kiss song? Like, that's almost impossible to say. Take It Off would definitely be a runner-up, you know, for that list. Uh, it'd certainly be at the top. It'd easily be in the top three. And and for it to be written by Kane Roberts, that's amazing. Now, I didn't know that. It's not like I never read the liner notes. just the name Kane Roberts didn't mean anything to me until a couple of years ago. And now it's like, oh, oh holy fuck. <laughs> you know, this is, this is awesome. So I, I just, I think that's so cool. So, yeah, Revenge, I mean, it had like this whole, you know, really had a very triple black attitude to it. I mean, just just fantastic album. Um, like I said, except for Paralyze, fucking track for track. And you don't count the Eric Car Jam. I mean, there's, there, you know, that's that's there for very good reasons. Um, but, I mean, you, you know, you can go down that whole thing. Uh, <laughs> even like Thou Shalt Not, I love that song. Uh, Heart of Chrome, really good. Now, there's arguments, and we, we haven't gotten to lick it up yet, but there's there's an... There's a case that gets made that apparently Kiss brought back Vinnie Vincent 
to do some songwriting for this, which he doesn't really get any credit for. Um, I'm aware of that kind of conspiracy. Uh, and maybe like Heart of Chrome, I think, is the one that they kind of admit that Vinnie Vincent might have had something to do with. Uh, but whatever, the, the, the whole again, the whole album's great. You know, if, if you if there's any album you should listen to off of what I talk about here, this is definitely, you know, just like raw studio album. This is definitely the one you want to be listening to. Asylum, you might not appreciate as much as I do uh, because of its heavy cheese factor. This does not have a cheese factor. This just has pure badassery. Uh, <laughs> Revenge is 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 phenomenal. Even people that hated the non-makeup era, they still will own a copy of Revenge just because they know it's that fucking good. Um, so, okay, let's go to, uh, to number three here and <laughs> I'm going to lose track of the numbers. <laughs> so, so maybe after the top 10, we'll stop as far as counting them by number, because we have so many to go through. And most of them, I don't have that much, you know, as much to say on. So don't worry, this isn't going to go for three hours or anything because we're already like 40 minutes in. Um, but the next one is actually the follow-up to Revenge, which was 1993's Alive 3. Like I said, I would include greatest hits and live albums uh, in, this, in this breakdown because they are so core to what KISS is. And some of them have like unique tracks. Now, Alive 3 does not have any unique tracks. Um, as to where like Alive 2 had, you know, on the second, uh, second disc or second LP, however, you know, you had Alive 2, um, there are, you know, five, six songs, whatever, that effectively make up their own new original music album um, that are studio cuts. They're not, they're not actually like live tracks at all. Uh, Live 3 has none of that, but this is, I mean, this is such a great album, such a great retrospective for, for Kiss, like as far as like an entire career. Uh, I mean, and it has it all, it has tons of tracks from Revenge because obviously at the time Revenge was a massive hit. I mean, you know, like that album was so huge. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of tracks from there, like Unholy, Domino, I Just Wanna. In fact, that's where you're going to hear, um, you know, you're going to hear Paul explicitly say, I Just Wanna Fuck. Um, if you have the Japanese version of this, you, uh, that, that also includes Take It Off. And in my opinion, the Alive 3 is still, now me growing up, when I listened to it, Okay, like I had the American version until I heard that there was a live version of Take It Off because I saw the video for Take It Off and I was like, whoa, wait a minute, this is a live cut. Where is this coming from? And, and then I found out about the Japanese version. And in fact, Alive 3 is really the album that got me in the habit of buying imports, uh, you know, imported albums from Japan to get like those extra tracks and everything because you f- I found out very quickly with Alive 3 and then you find it out with a lot of, uh, you know, other albums that, you know, there too, um, that like some of the best songs only get released in Japan or in where, or maybe it's like the Australian tour edition of an album or something like that. Right. Uh, so this started me on that whole kick of like, okay, no, I need to get the imports of these albums uh, and I'll pay the extra money. And certainly the song, take it off. Uh, the live version of it is well worth it. Uh, you know, paying double the price, say for the album. Now in 2006, there would be a, a live box set that would come out. Um, kind of a, a four disc set, which this set has issues. I'm going to talk about it later on in this, in this breakdown. Uh, but one of the advantages of owning this set was that it would have a live one, a live two, a live three, and then it would have another, it would have the millennium concert, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but the version of a live three on that, on the live box set does have take it off on it. And that's the first time that was ever officially released in America. Well worth it for that. Like that's, it's totally worth buying that box set for that alone. There's other nice things in the box set and there's some things that aren't so nice about it. But like I said, we'll talk about that later when it gets into the rankings. Um, 
So yeah, Alive 3, I mean, and it has, it has stuff from Creatures of the Night on it, which was an album that was, that was originally ignored. When Creatures of the Night first came out in 82, very ignored album. Um, that's going to be coming up in the rankings here pretty quick. Uh, but, you know, that's on there. And then, you know, you get a couple of, I mean, you get stuff from Lick It Up. You know, a lot of their non, it's, it's so, you know, for some people, it's their non-makeup era Alive album. Okay, but they still do, you know, they do Detroit Rock City. Um, you know, they, they still do some of their bigger songs from the, you know, from the 70s. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot to like here. And the versions of, like... So probably the best song, I mean, it's track for track, but probably the best song on there is they do a super heavy version of um, I Was Made for Loving You off of 79's Dynasty album, which the Dynasty album is pretty divisive for a lot of Kiss fans because they experimented with disco at the time. They just, they did. Um, And I I like the Dynasty album personally. And the song I Was Made for Loving You is actually the, the, like it's their only number one single, I think, uh, for Kiss. So you know it was a you know Dynasty was a huge deal. Again, very divisive for for Kiss fans, uh, but very popular certainly in '79. Uh, but when you listen to, if you didn't like the disco version of "I Was Made for Loving You," listen to "I Was Made for Loving You" off of um, off of Alive Three. It's fucking intense. Like it's it's such like there's just and you're hearing the live album there's you know there's rockets shooting off everywhere I mean like it, it's so it's so crazy that album is so well done there's so much you get so much flair in it uh, yeah I mean Alive Three is phenomenal so easily in the top three uh, albums of all time in fact like I can barely listen to as much as I like Dynasty the album I can barely listen to I Was Made for Loving You without hearing the live like. Uh, you know, kind of pyrotechnics and everything from Alive 3 going off in my head. So I usually don't even bother listening to that version anymore. It's so good. Um, I mean, and some of, like, Paul Stanley is well known for his uh, his onstage banter. In fact, there's people that release entire albums, obviously bootleg, of just, like, shit that Paul Stanley says on stage because <laughs> it's so wild. Uh, but Alive 3 has some of the best parts of that, like, where, you know, before it breaks into Heavens on Fire from Animalize, you know, Paul Stanley has the whole thing. It's like, it's like, it's like, all right, it's like, you know, here's a song. You probably know this one by the beginning. It's a song that's got a beginning where it goes, oh, yeah, I know that one. It's a, and then he does the whole thing, you know, because animal uh, or the song Heaven's on Fire has that that really classic opening where it's just Paul Stanley going, oh, 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 you know, and, and he does that. But when you hear it live like that, it's so fucking cool. It's so good. Um, and then there's off of, uh, off of Creatures of the Night, there's the ballad, I Still Love You. I mean, I'm not against ballads. I like ballads, and Kiss does some of the greatest ballads in history. In fact, one could argue they kind of started the, the whole ballad trend being, you know, something legitimate for radio. Um, and I Still Love You is, is a great ballad of theirs. So, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm contradicting what I said when I was talking about Asylum. But uh, the version of that, the live version, is fantastic. Yes, let's be very clear, and this is true from Alive 1 all the way to Alive 4 and beyond that there's a lot of sweetening that gets done, you know, b- b- <laughs> to make the album sound good. Like you, when you get a Kiss live album, you're not getting a completely raw cut, okay? Like you're, there's, there's some sweetening, there's some, you know, fixing, some adjusting, which almost every live album does. It's rare that that doesn't happen in a live album. Um, and certainly Kiss also, you know, kind of made that a thing as far as live albums go. Because live albums before Kiss were really an afterthought. You know, so when Kiss comes out with a live album, it's really still an event. Um, and Alive 3, I think, is the biggest event of them all. I, like, I, I think it, it's such a great retrospective of the entire band's career, certainly up until that point. Not that they didn't do great things afterwards. Certainly they did. Um, 
but it, it, the live three just just puts it all out there. And like I said, you really hear the pyrotechnics, you hear everything going off. So you're getting a real audio show, you know, even more so than just hearing great music, uh, which is certainly on display with the live three. So I, I, yeah, easily, you know, probably as far as most listened to, ironically, there's, there's no showing from Asylum on there, uh, which is kind of weird. And there's no showing from some of the other 80s albums on there, but Live Three is just just so rock solid as far as everything that it does put on. I mean, it, it you know I it's probably my most listened to Kiss album. Like you know, if I if I just want to listen to some Kiss, I put in a Live Three, you know, because I know I'm going to get such a again such a great retrospective of everything they've done, uh, and I'm going to get that attitude and everything that Kiss is that all that style that Kiss is known for, um, especially when you have the version that has Take It Off on it because that's that's totally worth it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, all right, so let's go to number four. Number four would be uh, 1983's Lick It Up. Um, so this is 10 year previous to, uh, to a live three. And this is the album where they became Unmasked. Now, it's not Unmasked. That's a separate album. Um, but this is the album that we're, we're, you know, a lot of people would, would remember for, okay, this is when they took the makeup off. Um, and it's not, you know, you can say that them taking off the makeup was some kind of marketing gimmick. Sure, I'm totally open to that. That's fine. But this album was no marketing gimmick. This is one of, there's a reason it's number four. This is one of the best-selling Kiss albums of all time. Amazingly, even with Kiss putting the makeup back on years later, they still play the song Lick It Up because it was such a huge hit. And it's such a classic song. And in fact, a lot of people, I mean, there's other great songs and I'm going to list some of them. Okay, but a lot of people, you know, when you put on uh, Lick It Up, you know, and they just, they hear that opening, you know, and then Paul does this whole, yeah, yeah, right? Like, I mean, you, you cannot, you cannot, you can't not smile from ear to ear. Like, it's, it's such a great hook. It's such a happy-go-lucky song. It's dripping with sex. Like, it's, and it's so obvious. It's so out there. And the most prudish people in the world, I don't care. You hear that opening riff to lick it up. It should have been the first track on the album. It's not. I love the opening track on, on Lick It Up. Exciter is fantastic, okay? Uh, you know, it's the third track. It should have been the opening track, but I mean, as soon as you hear it, like, I mean, you're just grinning because it's such a happy song. It's such a fun song. It's so good, but there's so much more to talk about with the album. And the music video for Lick It Up is fantastic where they're walking through that post-apocalyptic world. Oh, that's fucking hot. <laughs> it's so hot. It's it's so good. Oh, I love it. You know, they got all the, oh, oh man, I could talk about that forever. So uh, anyway, anyway, yeah, that this album is great. Of course, the lineup at the time is Vinnie Vincent, uh, Eric Carr, who now fully has, you know, really replaced Peter Chris, even though it was well known that he did it with the previous album, uh, uh, Creatures of the Night. But now it's unabashed that, uh, that, that Ace Fraley has finally left the band. And even though really he had left before Creatures of the Night, um, and, uh, you know, you know, and then you, so you have Vinnie Vincent, Eric Carr, you know, Paul and Gene, and it's just, it's a tour de force of an album. There's really not a bad song on there. The only one that, that I think is a little rough is Young and Wasted. Uh, again, another Gene cut, and it's almost like Paralyzed, where it kind of keeps this from being a perfect album. Uh, some people like, you know, and Gimme More is kind of weak too. Gimme More and Young and Wasted are, are like sort of the weak tracks. But other than that, like some of the cheesier stuff on the eighth day, I love that. On the eighth day, God gave rock and roll. Um, million to One, totally underrated song that you'll never see get played live, but it's an amazing uh, a track. And, and I mean, like it should be kind of a greatest hit. I don't know why it never became a hit, but a million to one is an awesome song on there. And then there's of course, all hell's breaking loose, 
which was kind of the second hit off of that. Fantastic. Just a great, great song. Uh, and the music video for it is phenomenal. Um, you know, again, more of that. It's kind of a sequel to Lick It Up, where the music video for it is more of the post-apocalyptic world. Very hot. Uh, and, and like Paul's even kind of rapping in it. And it just, it works. Like, it's a super cheesy song, but All Hell's Breaking Loose. I mean, you could play that right now and you'd think, it was singing, you'd think they were singing about today. It's, it's so good. Um, Not For The Innocent is the second track on the album right after Exciter's Really Good, which is a Paul Stanley-led song. Um, and that's the nice thing about Kiss is that you really have, you know, you always have at least two singers, if not more. You know, eventually Ace would sing or eventually Bruce would sing or even Eric would sing or, you know, Eric Singer would sing or Peter Chris would with Beth, of course. I mean, that's pretty awesome that, like, your entire band each each sort of has, like, a hit single in a way, <laughs> you know, at various times. Um, but, uh, you know, that that's part of what makes Kiss, I think, gives them their longevity is that you do have, like, even in one Kiss album, you have at least two or three styles, you know, that, that, that come out and that are, that are great, you know, that are, that are recognized hits and everything. Um, so, you know, it opens up with Paul with not for the, or for, uh, uh, Exciter. Then it goes to number two with not for the innocent, which is a great, like haunting track, you know, really heavy stuff too. And then you go in to lick it up and it's just, holy shit, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I love on the eighth day again, million, to, a million to one is totally underrated song from that album. Uh, not not exactly a ballad, uh, but it's like the closest thing to to one on that album. But like I said earlier about Asylum, I like the fact that when you had, um, you know, you, you had Lick It Up, you had uh, uh, Animalize, and then you had Asylum. Like that there were, you know, these were all just like really fast-paced rocking albums and very technical albums. Vinnie Vincent, who there would be a falling out with Vinnie Vincent. Vinnie Vincent obviously brought a lot to the table with Lick It Up. I mean, you know, this is a guy who, I mean, he would go on to do Vinnie Vincent Invasion, which would end up becoming Slaughter because Mark Slaughter would be in that band and they would become the band Slaughter, which, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fairly big fan of the, of the band Slaughter. Uh, the two Vinnie Vincent Invasion albums, which, by the way, I'm not going to get into any of the, like, the extraneous solo albums. I might mention them here and there, but there's, there, like, I, I'd be, I would be talking for four or five hours if I talked about, like, every album that every member of KISS ever did, you know, solo-wise outside of KISS and not just the 78 solo albums, like, beyond that, we'd be... The, We'd be here all night long, and I'm sure you wouldn't mind that, but <laughs> there are limitations to, to the file size that I can upload. So, um, But anyway, so look it up. Yeah, I mean, Vin- Vinnie Vincent would be a big part of it, and you can certainly hear when you listen to his solo albums, be it the two uh, uh, Vinnie Vincent Invasion albums that would come out years later, uh, you know, after, um, after 83's Lick It Up from Kiss – you know, you can, you can tell this, you can get the style, like the speed and just kind of like the, you know, just the, the really, really, you know, moving riffs, uh, just, just good stuff. Um, and there would be a falling out, you know, maybe Vinnie Vincent thought that he was the main driver behind Kiss's resurgence and Gene and Paul didn't want to give him the credit or maybe Vinnie Vincent was a prima donna. You know, you don't hear anything from Vinnie Vincent anymore. So obviously kind of an odd guy. Uh, and I don't mean to insult him in any way, uh, but you know, what, however that ended up, you know, being lick it up is the only album that he was ever on. And, you know, that's, if in your life you can say, well, I wrote lick it up or, you know, I co-wrote it or whatever. Like, you know, I think you can die happy <laughs> knowing that you came out with one of the greatest albums in history and it really is. I mean, lick it up is, is widely considered just one of the best. I mean, it's, it's easily considered one of the greatest kiss albums, regardless, again, if you like the makeup era or not. Um, and, and it's still respected to this day by, you know, the songs being played, um, in the set still, you know, because, you know, now admittedly kiss doesn't play a whole lot from their eighties set. They just don't, uh, lick it up being one of the standouts. 
uh, along with you know with the, uh, the the sequel album to Lick It Up, you know, which is Animalized, which has uh, Heavens on Fire on it. So yeah, Lick It Up. Just I mean, it, it's a it's a, a a milestone album for Kiss because they got rid of the makeup, but also. Like it's just it's a great album. There's 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 a ton of great songs on there. Um, you know, at least at least five six great songs. You know, I mean, like I said, million to one. Nobody ever hears about that one. You got to you got to check that out. But I mean, Exciter, uh, Not for the Innocent, Lick It Up, All Hell's Breaking Loose is a great song. Very underrated. I mean, it was a hit, but very underrated hit. Um, so a lot to love with with Lick It Up uh, and just yeah, it's all there. And it's it's such a. I mean, there's like some darker tracks. But it's always dark with kind of an, an air of cheese about it, which is what I love that Gene Simmons can deliver. It's it's part of the reason Gene Simmons is like, you know, one of my heroes is because he can deliver that dark sexiness, but still like it's still cheesy and like, you know, you, it's still like fun, you know. Uh, so I, I, I really appreciate that from uh, from him. So anyway, uh, let's get on with our to our next album here uh, in the list. This would end up being I guess this. will Yeah, this is number five on the list. Which would be Crazy Nights, 1987's uh, Crazy Nights. Now, this album, okay, there's, there's lots of great songs on it. The album was, was an absolute success. This came after their 86, 19, their break that they took in 1986, which, again, was the first year in 11 years of the band's history that they did not release anything, at least not in America, at least nothing major, uh, at least not any, like, really new music or anything. Um, so, you know, that this was... In some ways, this was kind of Kiss coming back, even though, you know, Asylum was again it was you know it was, it was pretty successful. Um, so it's it's not like they couldn't just ride off of Asylum and that somehow you know everybody forgot about them in a year or something like that. I mean that that obviously didn't happen. But to some degree, like I've always found now, granted, understand at the time, and this is actually important for Crazy Nights. At the time, I was you know like when Crazy Nights came out, I was six years old. Okay. Um, so I didn't understand, you know, I wasn't there to understand like, okay, what did it feel like for Kiss to take a year off? You know, I don't know. Um, I look at it, you know, back as, you know, when I got older, when I really got into Kiss, uh, when I was a teenager, you know, when I look backwards at it, like, it just looks like an oddity. It's like, what the fuck? What's the 1986? You know, it's this big red mark. So I don't, you know, I can't exactly say on that. And I mean, I've read a lot of books on Kiss, like their album retrospectives and everything, uh, which are very well done, that, you know, kind of describe what was going on for the band at the time. And to some degree, as I understand it, yeah, this was sort of a, like a, a, a relaunch uh, of Kiss in a, in a very real way. Um, the band at the time was the same as it was with Asylum, where it, you know, kind of what I consider to be, like I said, their strongest lineup, that being, uh, you know, Gene, uh, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Bruce Kulick, and... Um, you know, an Eric Carr. Uh, so Crazy Nights, I mean, as, you know, super cheesy album. In fact, honestly, I think the album's cheesier than Asylum. <laughs> like, like it really is. And they bring in like synthesizers and everything. So there's, it, it's a, it's kind of a unique album in that, in that sense that they did start to bring in, you know, synthesizers and some other stuff. They really took 80s cheese, like almost to a whole new level not to where they left kind of the rock metal roots, but it, it can feel that way, which is probably why I don't like it as much as I like Asylum, where Asylum is still really a heavy rocker uh, of an album. It still has some very hard riffs. Crazy Nights has pretty much no hard riffs whatsoever. You know, there's no, no, no crunch, no, you know, like, like nothing like that in it. 
So, but it's, I still love the fucking album. I mean, it's still a, a fantastic uh, Kiss album. You'll never really hear them play anything from it anymore, sadly, uh, which is a pity because like I mentioned with Lick It Up, where during All Hell's Breaking Loose, um, you, you, know, you kind of have Paul sort of rapping to some degree in the title track for Crazy Nights. He does that as well. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. So when I was six years old, I remember being in the back of my parents' station wagon and my cousins were, were with me in it and they were huge Kiss fans. Of course, they were much older than I was. And they were like, you know, they were playing Crazy Nights. In fact, my, one of my cousins actually had a jean jacket where he had the patch in the back, which was like the broken glass, the broken mirror cover of, uh, of Crazy Nights, the album cover for it. Really cool album cover too. And... Uh, you know, like he'd play Crazy Nights and I was just like, and they'd all be singing it because it's kind of a rap. So, you know, like it's easy for anybody to say, you don't have to, you know, hit, you know, Paul's high notes like in, uh, you know, like in Heaven's on Fire or something, right? <laughs> so, so good. Um, and, and like at six, I, I could sing or, you know, or belt out anyway, the entire song of Crazy Nights, you know, and I loved it. So like, you know, my history with Kiss started at a very young age. <laughs> I mean, like I was, I was already memorizing Kiss songs at six years old. Now, Kiss wouldn't be my first love in the whole rock and metal scene that would go to, you know, Motley Crue and like the first uh, cassette that I, audio cassette that I ever bought was in 89 when uh, Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood came out. Obviously, that was a very seminal album for me. Uh, but later on, I would, you know, after, I mean, after dalliancing with so many 80s metal bands like, you know, Motley Crue and, and, and Whitesnake and the rest of them, I would, you know, as a teenager later, I would finally, you know, settle back down and be like, okay, Kiss is fucking awesome. They're the greatest band in history. You know, but yeah, I mean, I had that start off. And I mean, and I never forget, I can still... Sing. I mean, obviously now, because I listen to these albums all the time, I can sing every word, but, um, but like even up until, you know, you know, there's like, there's never been a point in my life other, you know, other than thinking back before I was six years old, where I can't remember being able to, to sing every, every lyric to, or, you know, every, every word to, uh, to crazy nights. So really important album for me in, in that sense, but I actually like a lot of what's on there. Crazy nights is a great song. Uh, in my opinion, I, you know, I really appreciate that. Uh, the, the big, sort of the big hits off of that, you had Crazy Nights, um, you had Turn On The Night, then you had the ballad Reason To Live, um, which is maybe Kiss's weakest ballad, but it's it's still good. It's still great. I mean, understand, you know, Kiss, even their, their worst song, except for Paralyze, even their worst song is still better than what most other people can, can put out there. Uh, you know, most other musicians and bands in my opinion. So, uh, reason to live. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's good. Like I, I listen to it, you know, I, I, I think it's a damn worthy track. Uh, there's other great stuff on there. Uh, bang, bang. You is a hilarious song. Uh, hell or high water is a good song. Um, like it's a turn on the night. I already mentioned that that's really good. There's actually, there's, and it's not a remake, um, or like a cover of Frank Sinatra's my way, but Paul does his own little song called My Way on there. I love that song. It's probably my favorite song off the album is, uh, is Paul Stanley's My Way. I listen to that all the time. I mean, tons of, tons of synth in it, you know, tons of synthesizers and everything. Uh, but I, I think it's really cool. Uh, just, just, a, just a fun song. So that's the one you probably, if you're wondering, like, what's a song on there that nobody ever talks about that's probably really good? It'd probably be, uh, be My Way. Uh, that, that I, I really enjoy that, but bang, bang, you so good. There, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, fun, fun songs on there. Um, and yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, I think that about covers Crazy Nights. So yeah, that's my number five. Uh, you know, certainly holds a, a sweet spot in my heart because of, you know, how seminal it was for me at six years old. But at the same time, there's just a lot to like there. It's a very unique Kiss album. It's probably the most unique Kiss album next to, say, The Elder, I think, is stylistically. Because it's, it is, it's not a departure, but it's just so different. From, from anything else they've done. So I, I think Crazy Nights is really cool. Very underrated album. I mean, it was a big seller at the time, you know, because it's fucking Kiss. So who cares? <laughs> right? Uh, but um, uh, yeah, you know, in posterity, it's not so, not so well thought of, uh, unfortunately. I mean, it would show up on an album we're going to cover later, which smashes, thrashes, and hits. A lot of the songs on that would end up on there uh, because it was such a hit. Reason to Live was a huge, was a huge hit. Um, and Turn On The Night was a fairly big hit. The song Crazy Nights apparently wasn't as big a hit, but whatever. Anyway, uh, great stuff. So, all right, let's move on because I, I really don't want this thing to go over two hours. <laughs> we're already an hour in. We're only on number five. Um, so number six, Creatures of the Night. That's oh! <laughs> kind of the little thing that goes to the song Creatures of the Night. Um, another super underrated, probably like, Almost the least selling. It eventually became became a gold album. Um, this came out in 1982. Paul, you know, originally on on the album, they, it's it's technically a makeup era album, um, and it's the only one where really Eric Singer was still wearing makeup, and it's it's also you know the album that was being toured for to where Vinnie Vincent would join the band because Ace Frehley, even though he's on the cover with his makeup on, he really wasn't a part of the album. Uh, that Vinnie Vincent would be in, in makeup as well. Uh, so Creatures of the Night, yeah, a weird album because it's a transitional period, right? Like MTV suddenly became a thing. And of course, she had the music video, which is very well known uh, in the song that is fairly popular, which is I Love It Loud. I, I think it's a great song, too. Um, and that, you know, that would be big on MTV uh, or would get some play on MTV and everything. Uh, just a re- really, really great, simple, you know, kind of kind of rock song. Um, yeah, I Love It Loud's really good. Uh but anyway, it's a tra- it was a transitional you know time because they were getting rid of Ace, which was you know Ace was was such a big deal for the band I think or I know uh, and you know they're bringing in other people and then they decided to go you know all right let's just take the makeup off if we don't have everybody here anyway um, and which was a smart move so eventually Creatures of the Night would get re released kind of as a non-makeup album. And I actually consider it a non-makeup album because of it. In fact, when I ever, whatever music software or whatever I happen to put it into, um, there, there was an album, a version of it, I think that came out in 85. That was the re-release where the cover art is non-makeup and it actually has Bruce Kulick and Eric Carr on the cover instead of Ace being on it, you know, with, with his makeup on. And I, I really like to think of the album that way. I don't like to think of it as an Ace Frehley album. I don't like to think of it as a makeup album. Uh, because, it, I mean, really the attitude for the album is so clearly 80s. It so falls in line with what they did during the non-makeup era. Uh, there's no reason for it not to. Now, this album has, I mean, so many great songs on it. Like, it's ridiculous just how really track for track uh, this album is. I mean, opens up with Creatures of the Night, which when you listen to that on a live three, I mean, that is such a great opener. Uh, you know, for an album to have, especially a live show, or then if, you know, you're doing a live three and you're doing a live show, uh, it's fantastic for that. Um, it has I Love It Loud, of course, which is great. Uh, it has uh, I Still Love You, which is a ballad, fantastic ballad. Um, there's some really underrated tracks on there. Rock and Roll Hell, very underrated track. Fantastic, though. Uh, I mean, there there's a lot of 
Uh, Danger. I think Danger is a very fun song uh, for Paul Stanley to do. Danger, danger. I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm not going to sing anymore for you. Uh, that, but that, that's that's like a just a really fast uh, riffing song. And a song that actually, if you watch, um, like, particularly, I think it was the Animalized tour, they, a song that they would do live that for some reason was never like a huge hit, but it, it sounds so good live. I don't know why they never messed with it more. Uh, there's a song called War Machine on there, and it is heavy. Like, it's, it's a Gene Simmons fronted song. It is so heavy. It is awesome. Easily the best track on that album. Uh, so, so good. And so, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really, again, it's a very underrated album, Creatures of the Night. It, it, it kind of flew by night <laughs> or flew under the dark, the cover of night, it seemed, uh, because nobody really latched onto it uh, until really, I think, until they re-released it. I mean, a lot of people enjoyed the song I Love It Loud. I don't think it took off as well as perhaps they were hoping. In fact, I know at the time the tour for, uh, for Creatures of the Night was kind of a week like they they weren't selling out it was sort of a week tour even though they they pushed really hard and obviously with a song like war machine like they brought a tank on stage and everything i mean i I guess it was really nuts um so a pity but yeah i i think that's just a tremendous fucking album so you know number six spot definitely could easily sit in the top five Uh, a lot of people you know again makeup or no makeup really respect uh, that album because it, it is so damn good. Uh, so yeah, Creatures of the Night, fantastic. And just listen to the song War Machine. You'll you'll get what I'm talking about. And Rock and Roll Hell is another great one too. Gene really Gene really shined on that. As to where after that album, Paul would definitely be the person you know to shine from there on. Um, all right, let's go on to uh, I guess this would be number seven, and that is 1989's Hot in the Shade. Woo! Now this album, this is a good album. This is fun. They 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 dropped. Pretty much all, I think they dropped all the synthesizers in this, uh, you know, from, from 87's or uh, 88's, yeah, 87's Crazy Nights. Um, they did have a release in 88, but we'll, we'll get to that. So Hot in the Shade in 89, this was, this was not like, so there's a ballad on there that ended up becoming huge. And that, that song is uh, Forever, which I think that might have also cut them a num- number one, kind of like Beth. So obviously Kiss is really good at ballads. I don't mind when they don't do them, but Forever is a good song. I I, I understand. I, I get it. Uh, but this is this is a very, this is an interesting album because they lightened up a bit on style, but they're definitely not doing like that '80s flash. It almost sounds like a Tesla album afterward, in, in a way. Like it, it's 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 very very different. And there's some more Paul doing his little bit of rapping. Uh, my favorite song on the album is "Read My Body." Never a hit. But I, I think it's it, it's such a cheesy, sexy song, and and Paul kind of does his little more of his rapping, kind of like with All Hell's Breaking Loose um, and Crazy Nights and some others, uh, and I, I I think it works out really, really well for it. Um, there's the song Hide Your Heart, which was kind of a hit, which also got covered by, and I, I still don't know the, the total story around this, because Ace Fraley would also do a version of, um, of Hide Your Heart on one of his albums. Uh, this is, again, that strong version of the band where it's Eric Carr, Bruce Kulick, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley. Uh, a unique thing happens with this album. So the first track on it is Rise To It, and a music video was made for Rise To It. Again, this album wasn't the, like the biggest hit, but it was pretty wild. And the, the, if you can catch uh, a live footage from the concerts from this album, like there's a huge Sphinx on the stage, which is, of course, on the cover of the album, too. Uh, that That's really cool. I mean, it's, it's a wild fucking album. Uh, of course, they were doing very well after Crazy Nights was, was you know, quite the, the album Crazy Nights was a pretty good hit, a pretty good seller. So the song Rise to It, a great song. 
like very sexy. You know, I, I, I enjoy the hell out of it. Um, the song Rise to It, the music video for it opens up with like a flashback to Gene and Paul putting the makeup back on. Or, or, you know, with them in the makeup room getting the makeup on. And then at the end of the of the music video for Rise to It, they walk out of there with the makeup on. Now, a lot of people thought that that meant Kiss was going to come back with the makeup. Um, as to why that didn't happen then, you know, a lot of conversations, a lot of different stories as to what happened there. Is it because Eric Carr died, you know, a year or two after this that they said, okay, no, we're not going to go back with the makeup because Eric Carr would have been kind of the more, the legitimate person to be wearing the makeup. Uh, and I, and I can agree with that, even though now Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer are wearing the makeup in place of Ace and Peter, uh, you know, whatever, but I, like, maybe that was what was going on. They just weren't ready to, to kind of hang it up yet or what, or maybe the success of God gave rock and roll to you too on, um, you know, on Bill and Ted's bogus journey, you know, kind of changed their mind. Maybe it was kind of the grunge era that made them change their mind, which when the grunge era came in in 93, you know, you can read interviews where, where Gene says like, he loves what Smashing Pumpkins is doing. You know, he's, he loves all this shit. Uh, and, and they were going to try and go that direction. In fact, they did. We'll talk about that album later. Uh, but, um, yeah, that, that was kind of a weird thing, and that definitely got a lot of people talking. And was it just a marketing gimmick to sell Hot in the Shade? Maybe, and maybe it worked, you know. But I think it's a great album. Forever was a huge hit. Uh, you know, not not my favorite track off the album, but Read My Body is really good. Uh, even some of the weaker, or, you know, some of the what, what one might consider to be filler stuff from Gene Simmons, like Cadillac Dreams uh, and some of this other stuff, I, I think they're all good. I, like, I, I, I dig all the, you know, Silver Spoon's a good song. Um like I said, Read My Body is probably my favorite off the whole damn thing. Uh, Love's Like a Slap in the Face. I think that's a great song. Uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot. It's a long album, and there's, but I think there's a lot of great cuts on it. Uh, and Rise to It, of course, is an awesome song. Uh, you know, and Hide Your Heart, like I mentioned, that was really good, too. Uh, so, yeah, Hot in the Shade, I got to put that there. And, and particularly for Rise to It and Read My Body are just two of the, uh, you know, most sex-dripping songs that Kiss has ever done uh, that I, and, and kind of fun. Like, they're fun songs, which is nice, too. So, uh, okay, let's go to a number eight, which is Animalize, 1984's Animalize. And I got a funny story to tell about this one, uh, but... First off, let, let, let's talk a little bit about the album. Uh, best known, obviously, for uh, the the classic track that still gets played by them today, even though they're wearing the makeup, which is Heaven's on Fire. And totally understandable. It's a great song. I mean, it's a great fucking song. Uh, Mark St. John was on with this, and of course he would end up with a condition. He's he's actually, I think he passed away. Um, he, he, would, he, he ended up doing like White Tiger, not White Lion, but White Tiger, um, but yeah, Mark St. John was was fine. He was actually like a music teacher. I mean, he was, it was amazing that he became a member of KISS. Didn't really have the look. There's nothing wrong with him, but I, I don't wish anything bad on anybody. But I'm glad Bruce Kulick ended up coming into the band afterwards. Because uh, so, Bruce brought just brought a lot of style, a lot of technicality that, that Mark St. John, I'm sure, could have had. But it just wasn't really on display much for it. So anyway, Animalize, uh, Animalize has some other... It, it, like the one song, obviously Heaven's on Fire, is so good. Like it makes up, it, it, you know, it justifies the entire album's existence, right? Um, but what, boy, what you know? I mean, like the, a lot of the other songs on it are sort of, 
I don't know. They're, they're good. Like, they're good, but they're not totally memorable. Like, the memorable ones are the ones that are kind of ridiculous. Like, Burn, Bitch, Burn. That's actually a song. <laughs> I want to put my log in your fireplace. That's <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. I mean, there, there's, you know, uh, um, Lonely is the Hunter. That's a fun song. I like that on there. You know, there's good stuff. It has that 80s style, so it still ranks really high with me. And, of course, you know, Heaven's on Fire is just such a great fucking song. You know, it, it's it's tough for it not to not to really carry it. Uh, Thief in, or, or thr- Thrills in the Night. Thief in the Night is off of Crazy Nights. I, I sometimes I get those two songs confused. But uh, Thrills in the Night is a very, is a very good song. I actually really like that. Uh, so you know, th- there's there's you know three four songs that I really love on it. So so I give it high marks. Uh, the music video, you know, again I've talked about the music videos here and there. The music video for Heaven's on Fire is incredible uh, because it's all about like this, you know, hotel room fucking party. I mean, obviously a massive hotel room and there's like a scene in it. Now there's, there's censored and uncensored versions of this music video. The uncensored ones you can watch when you watch the, the, the DVD I mentioned before or the home video release I mentioned before, which is Kiss Exposed, um, which is kind of a, it's not like a, you know, it's a quasi documentary. <laughs> it's not a mockumentary, but it's kind of a quasi documentary of the band. Um, but the music video for it, there's a scene that I just like is so memorable that I love. Well, first off, I enjoy like there's the fun scenes where Eric Carr's kind of under the table with a gal. Uh, I mean, there's just women everywhere, obviously. And and everybody's, you know, taking clothes off and whatever. But there's a scene where Gene is between two women. And of course, Gene Simmons is well known for his tongue, a tongue which actually I, I also have an incredibly long tongue. Uh, <laughs> I didn't do anything to model myself after Gene. I just happened to, you know, have the... <laughs> have the honor of that. Uh, I've taken pictures of it before. And like, I've had sovereign tech, you know, listeners say, Holy shit, you really do have a crazy tongue. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but there's a scene where, and I tried to, I've tried to emulate this many a time where jeans between two women. Right. And he like, I, I swear to fucking God, his face is so far away from this one gal, but his tongue reaches out and like almost touches her nose. <laughs> it's, it's such an awesome little moment in the music video for Heaven's on Fire. I love it. Uh, so yeah, Animalize is a great album. Now here's the funny story. That wasn't the funny story. Here's the funny story. This kind of like speaks to the, the Mandela effect. I fucking, like I swear that I remember as a kid Okay, or maybe, maybe like, I don't know, maybe a 14, 15, something like that. Going into Camelot Music in the mall. If you're from the Northeast, you might know Camelot Music. Going into Camelot Music in the mall. It was, it was a music chain. So I, I think it was even beyond the Northeast of the U.S. But I remember going into the mall, and I remember seeing an album called Animalize 2. And on the cover of Animalize 2, it was like all white. As to where the cover for Animalize is just like some animal print scratches and everything. But the cover for Animalize 2 had uh, had all of, I, I, I imagine I was seeing Mark St. John on it, but it definitely had Gene, Paul, and, and Eric, you know, and Eric Carr. And, and they were all wearing like these long white leather jackets. And the whole album was kind of white. And on the cover, it kind of looked like the cover to, uh, to Double Platinum, where, you know, it was Kiss on the bottom, Kiss on top. And then you had the letters of the, or, you know, red lettering of the album in the middle. But instead, this was all white with like some raised lettering. Like I said, just kind of like double platinum. Um, and it was called Animalize too. I couldn't tell you what any of the songs were off of it. But like, I, I remember, I feel like I remember that so vividly. But obviously that never happened. That was never like a thing. But I, I always thought that'd be cool. Like if there was an Animalize too, like that, that'd be funny. So 
again, no woo here. Obviously it was probably just like a dream I had or something. And my head was just fucking with me, but just an odd, just an odd little thing that I always, I tell people about all the time. It's like, you know, it's so weird. I remember that there was like this, there was an album called Animalize too. And I even remember what the album looked like and everything. Uh, even though I wish, like, I just, I don't remember if, you know, I know there was a track listing on the back cause they had the four members standing in those white leather jackets on the back. Uh, but yeah, I don't remember any of that. So anyway, just, just a funny thing, just odd, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so there was that number eight was that animalized. So number nine, um, I mentioned how kiss would be very interested in kind of the grunge movement and how they would get into grunge. Um, and you can read more about how this album was created. And in fact, like, like I said, Gene comes right out and says, Hey, you know, I love what the smashing pumpkins are doing and all this stuff. I think this is great. And actually with this album, like in the beginning of it, you hear some backmasking lyrics, kind of where it's, you know, it's run backwards. And it's actually mentioning Billy Corgan of, you know, smash, you know, lead of Smashing Pumpkins. Um, so, but the album is Carnival of Souls, which came out in 97, um, which is after the announcement, you know, the big announcement that, that there was going to be the big reunion tour with, you know, Ace and Peter and everything. Uh and this is after, you know, the whole Kiss MTV Unplugged event happened where they did actually come back for a bit. Uh, this is, you know, this this is this album was going to be the sequel to Revenge. You know, it's going to be Bruce Kulick, uh, who would actually get the chance to sing on this album um, and uh, Eric Singer and, you know, Paul and Gene. Uh, there's this is a dark and heavy album, definitely the heaviest album that that Kiss would ever release. And I think it's not unfair to say it's the darkest, maybe only matched by Creatures of the Night, because Creatures of the Night was, you know, was a very dark album. Not there wasn't anything like terribly necessarily fun or or sexy on it. Right. Uh, As to where Revenge could be considered dark, but it had a lot of fun and a lot of sex in it. Um, No real sex in this one and no fun, (laughs) like none. Uh, But there's good songs on here. Um, in fact, some of them would would only get released later on the 2001 box set. But you had, uh, you know, you had Jungle, which was a good song. Um, Hate was was a good song. Uh, you know, there's 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 two, you know, the whole album. I mean, it's so different for Kiss to do, and it's so intense. Um, I I really like it. Then there's of course uh, there's the song uh, Childhood's End, which was the only thing that was remotely like a hit off of it. Um, but yeah, good stuff. You know, th- three, four, five songs on there that I think are really good, especially Jungle. And, and I, I really dig, I dig Hate. Um, and, and Childhood's End is, is good. Uh, yeah, just, just, just very different. But I, I rank it really high because I, I think it is such a unique outing um, for them that, that yeah, it, it holds a special place. So, so I, I really, I, I dig it. Um, was that, was that number nine or 10? Let's see. Okay, we got one, we got Asylum, Revenge, Alive 3, Lick It Up at number four, Crazy Nights number five, Creatures of the Night number six, Hot in the Shade number seven, Analyze number eight, Carnival of Souls uh, number nine. So number 10, okay, this is pretty good. This is a good listing for number 10. Uh, number 10 would actually be the first greatest hits album that's going to take on this list, which is uh, Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Um, an awesome, awesome greatest hits album. Uh, has its own, you know, ha- has two new songs on it. That being, let's put the X in sex and you make me rock hard. Both pure cheese, 
very sexy, just coming off of Crazy Nights. Um, and there's still some of the synthesizer kind of involved, especially with uh, Let's Put the X in Sex. Uh, but two, those two songs, Rock Hard and Let's Put the X in Sex, two of the greatest Kiss songs of all time. So it has to sit on here. Uh, also, the other thing I like about it is that they play a lot of Kiss classics, you know, in it, like even, a, you know, a couple songs from the 70s and whatever. And, but it's being done with, uh, you know, with Eric Carr and Bruce Kulick. So you get a very good technical playing of some of these songs. Um, in fact, it also has uh, one of those other, you know, rare Eric Carr cuts where it has uh, Eric Carr um, uh, performing Beth on it. And Eric Carr is a, tr- is a great singer, you know. I mean, and you can see that too because, like, Eric Carr also did, he had his solo stuff for, like, Rockology and all that that were really good, um, even though they're, they're kind of more demos now than anything else. But... Uh, yeah, it's worth it for that. The version of Love Gun, of the song Love Gun on there, is awesome. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the 80s greatest hits album, you know, with, with studio tracks. But it, it is, it, it's a just, it's such, it's a great compilation. And the song, let's put, you know, for, for Eric Carr's version of Beth and for the, you know, the 80s band, you know, for that, for the, that, that great lineup performing Love Gun and let's put the X in sex and you make me rock hard, just it's an awesome collection of songs uh, that's that's really really worth your time. So I put that at, I put that at number ten easy. Uh, there's there's a you know a, a lot to love on it. You know all the tracks on it are just are top notch. You get tears are falling. There's a lot of eighty songs um, that that were missing off of it uh, that you know you, you, makes you want to go back to the catalog. But it's a great introduction to Kiss at that time. And it has songs on there that are just absolutely required, uh, you know, Kiss listening, uh, in my opinion. So a uh, great little album there. So, all right, we're, uh, we're out of the top 10. So now we should be able to blaze through these pretty good. Um, starting out of the top 10, this will actually be the first album from the 70s era. Of course, one, what one would argue the most popular era uh, of Kiss and this this album this is the one that i think of all the albums except for maybe destroyer and of course this is you know in in many ways the sequel to destroyer um this is the album that you listen to it today and it still sounds really good like it still it still holds up like yeah that that could have come out yesterday you know <laughs> something like that especially when you remaster it a bit um and this album has had uh, boy, what did they have like a 30th anniversary, like two disc re-release and remastering and everything. Not like Destroyer where Destroyer actually got like a reimagining, you know, more so than just a remastering on its, uh, what was it, like its 40th anniversary or whatever. Um, this, this one was, was a little bit different and I kind of hope they never do what they did with Destroyer for this, because again, it's just, a, it's an album that sounds so good. That being 1977's Love Gun. Now the song itself, Love Gun is, I mean, that is such a great rocker. Like that is kind of, so it's really where I think Kiss started to get into where it's, you know, Kiss would play a little bit faster, which would become uh, a hallmark in the eighties. I think where they'd have a little more speed to everything that they're doing um, instead of just like the, you know, the pure simplicity perhaps of their music of the seventies. So, and Love Gun, that was the other thing too, is Love Gun had a kind of some good complex riffs to it. I mean, just a very unique Kiss album. Uh, like I said, and it does really hold up very well. In fact, for a lot, you know, there aren't many of us, but for the fans that, you know, a lot of fans that I've talked to that actually enjoy the non-makeup 
uh, or the no makeup era of Kiss. Love Gun, the song alone is usually the song that they actually love from the 70s because it sounds similar. Like it, it has that feel. So you kind of got the hint of what was to come of Kiss, you know, when you listen to Love Gun. So not surprising, I guess, for me that it's, you know, my what adds up to being, I mean, it's number 11 on this list, but it adds up being my top album, um, you know, for for that era, for the makeup era of, or the original makeup era of Kiss. Um, I think that, uh, boy, I mean, there's some fun tracks in that. Christine 16 uh, is, is a great song. <laughs> I mean, and then uh, the the last track on it, Then She Kissed Me, you know, which is, of course, is a kind of a remake of Then He Kissed Me, you know, kind of the classic song from the, what was it, from the 50s or whatever. But Paul Stanley doing Then She Kissed Me, I love that fucking track. One of my favorite Kiss songs of all time. So much fun. Uh, and I, in fact, I remember the first time the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy kissed me. You better believe that song was running through my head and I was playing it all the way home, baby. That <laughs> was, was so fun. Uh, just, just so cool. Um, so yeah, 1977's Love Gun. I mean, just a ton of great songs on there. Uh, but of course, it's, it's doc, Dr. Lo- or no, Dr. Loves on Rock and Roll Over or whatever. A- anyway, Love Gun, lots of fun. Just, just a great, great album. Easily, could easily sit in the number, t- in, you know, in the top 10 for me, but it's, it's at number 11. I, I really enjoy it. Um, the next one is actually the next album on the list is 1998. You know, let's forward almost tw- over 20 years, uh, is 1998 Psycho Circus, which was the album when, you know, kind of when they came back with the makeup, this was the reunion album in many ways, uh, or, you know, studio album anyway, it wasn't the reunion live album that would, that honor would go to, uh, kiss, uh, kiss MTV unplugged or kiss unplugged. Um, Psycho Circus is an awesome album. It was a great comeback album. You know, I mean, not that for me, they never had had to come back. But I think for a lot of people, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound now a lot of people were very critical in 98 when this came out, because they said, well, it doesn't sound like the 70s. Well, it's not the 70s anymore. (laughs) You know, like, like Kiss wasn't going to sound like that. And I mean, I love it too, when new albums come out, like say when Stan Bush comes out with a new album, and it sounds like 1986 all over again. Believe me, I love it when that happens. Okay, but you know, most of the time that's not going to happen. I mean, Ace had changed. Peter had changed. Paul and Gene had been, you know, they'd still been doing Kiss. They still had a lot of sounds. I mean, they're coming off of doing Carnival of Souls, which was kind of a, you know, a darker album and everything. Uh, so yeah, Psycho Circus doesn't sound like the 70s, but what it does sound like, I think it sounds fucking great. And like, it's almost track for track. Uh, the only, re- I mean, it's not a weak track, but probably my least favorite on there would would probably be um, Into the Void, for, you know, Ace Frehley's song on there. And that's not a knock on Ace Frehley because if you get like the tour, one of the tour editions or one of the fan editions, uh, which there's like a four disc fan edition of this album that's so good. Um, you know, there's a, what was it, In Your Face by Ace? I love that song. Uh, just about any other edition other than the American edition that you get of Psycho Circus has Ace Fraley's In Your Face on it. And I think it's a great song. So it's not like I hate Ace's songs uh, <laughs> by, by, by no means. I mean, off of uh, Love Gun, what did you have? Shock Me? I, I think that song's badass. Uh, so, you know, I don't have, I really don't have a problem with Ace. Um, but Psycho Circus, Raise Your Glasses, We Are One, Within. Within's probably my favorite song off there, which is a Gene Simmons-led song. The actual title track, Psycho Circus, which is now a hit. Like, that's a song now that makes a regular, that makes it regularly on set lists because, you know, everybody really started to, to get into that song. Um, you know, there, there's there's tons. Uh, uh, Pledge Allegiance to the State of Rock and Roll, uh, Journey, 
Dreamin'. Dreamin's an awesome song off of there. That's kind of like a darker song from Paul on that album. Uh, there's a there, there's a ton of great songs on this album. You know, it's it's really really good. Um, I keep forgetting if I, I finally found my way to you. I don't think that was on there. I think that song was actually on the soundtrack for Detroit Rock City, which also came out, which is which was a movie that I loved. I actually enjoyed the movie Detroit Rock City by Kiss, which is about like, you know, four Kiss fans and doing their thing. I mean, lots of fun. Um, but I finally found my way to you. Or no, maybe I finally found my way to you is on Psycho Circus. Uh, anyway, that's a Peter Chris ballad. Yeah, it is what it is. You know, for Peter Chris, it's, it's cool. Um, so yeah, Psycho Circus, number 12, easy. I mean, it, it's a good song. It's a good album. I listen to it all the time. The four disc fan edition. I love that. I, I listen to that nonstop. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of good heavy rockers within is really good. We are one very cheesy song, but I enjoy the hell out of it. Raise your glasses. Uh, you wanted the best great song. I mean, like all, I mean, they're all kind of anthems celebrating kiss, but that's okay. When you're a kiss fan, that's fine. You know, <laughs> like, like it, it works. You, you almost, you want that. Uh, so, but, but probably best track off of there is within I th- by with Gene Simmons. It's a good, heavy, uh, very heavy song, actually. Uh, not, not as dark necessarily as Carnival Souls, but very heavy. And I, I, I really like it. Um, so yeah, Psycho Circus, number 12, Destroyer, number 13. This is obvious. I mean, it's the album that other than Alive, that one could say made Kiss what they are, you know, Spirit of 76, the whole thing, right? Uh, lots of great songs on here. Even the cheesy, even the funny, like cheesy ones, Great Expectations. Detroit Rock Cities is obviously great. Um, I mean, the, you know, shout it out loud. There's so, there's so many fucking awesome songs on, on Destroyer. Uh, they recently did like, again, it wasn't a remastered. It was like a reimagining of it, um, a couple of years ago. And, uh, I don't know. It, it didn't really do, do anything for me. Uh, but I mean, King of the Nighttime World. I mean, there's, there's so many goddamn good songs on, on Destroyer and Detroit Rock City is an anthem for a reason. I mean, it's just got that awesome, you know, I mean, you know, you're just ready to go once you start hearing that. Uh, so love Destroyer, number 13, number 14, Dynasty. Um, like I said, good album. Uh, obviously, you know, I was made for loving you is the best track on there, but, uh, very divisive album because it's so disco, you know, not a lot of people dug it, but, um, I thought it was good. Now, number 15 going into that. Now we're going to break into the 78 solo albums, which this is, I'll rank them. Um, it really doesn't hurt if they were all one album (laughs) in in a way. In fact, it might, might've done them, uh, some, some service, but, uh, these are these are unique because a lot of bands like, you know, the Rolling Stones, you know, Mick Jagger would go off and kind of do his own albums and everything, but they'd really be completely separate events as to where these four solo albums, each member of Kiss, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons did their own album um, with their own little band. Even, you know, it's not like everybody was playing for each other's you know solo album, but they were planned like they were set up as a Kiss release. So they're really Kiss albums, even though they're technically solo albums and they're not exactly kiss just because not everybody was playing for everybody's other, you know, everybody else, other person's albums. Right. Um, the most popular is Ace Fraley's. That is not my favorite one. So, you know, number 15 here, I'm going to put Paul Stanley's, uh, that opener on Paul Stanley's kiss album tonight. You belong to me. Amazing. Now, Paul Stanley's was also the one that sounds the most like kiss, not not shocking considering that, that Paul Stanley, 
you know, especially getting in at this time was starting to become kind of like we mentioned with the 80s, where he started to become the main creative force behind Kiss. Uh, so it's not too shocking, like that, that, that things that he would sound the most like Kiss in it. Uh, but yeah, Paul Stanley, I mean, right from that opener, Tonight You Belong to Me is, is such a great song. Uh, not really a ballad, but just like an epic kind of strangely sexy song. I don't know. It's really good. Um, After that, number 16, I would put Gene Simmons, uh, the the 1978 album, you know, solo album, which, you know, opens up with Radioactive, which is a very fun song. I mean, there's there's a lot of cool songs on that. Then uh, number 17, then I rank, I put Ace Fraley. So Ace, so as far as out of the solo albums, Aces would be number three on my list. Obviously, Peter Chris would be number four. Peter Chris is not the next album in this list. <laughs> but, uh, but Aces, you know, when he did that cover back in the uh, New York Groove, fucking awesome. Rip it up. I mean, like, there, there's so many good songs on Aces. Uh, he did a great job. I mean, there's a reason he, he had a mild success as a solo artist because, you know, he has that talent. He just has that wacky-ass talent. Um, and you get that, you get a lot of that flavor. On, and, and it was like out of the solo albums, it was the one that just sold gangbusters because people couldn't believe, wow, this is, this is amazing. Um, and I get it. I, I really like it. I just like Paul and Gene styling a lot more. So they don't rank as high or so aces doesn't rank as high for me, but I totally understand that it's an awesome album. You know, like I have, I have no problem admitting that whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, coming in at number 17, uh, Ace Fraley. And again, you know, New York Groove fucking awesome song you know me being a little jewish boy from new york how could i not dig that either Uh, but anyway um coming in number 18 we have uh, kiss unplugged which is you know it's a live album um it was you know recording from the mtv event that happened uh in 1996 which precipitated the reunion of, you know, the original four band members of KISS, Peter Chris, Ace Frehley, you know, uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. And, the, you know, this is, it's a, it's a fun, it's totally acoustic, but it's a fun album. And there's a couple tracks where you actually have, you know, Eric Singer and, uh, and Bruce Kulick are playing on it as well. So you get like a six person KISS band and, and that's amazing. You know, of course, Eric, Eric Carr had died by this point, um, uh, lo- you know, long before. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it was, in fact, honestly, without Eric Carr dying, I don't, I wonder how long it would have been before the reunion happened. Uh, so, you know, this is an outcropping of that. Uh, but you know, it, it opens up with, with, you know, coming home again. I mean, like plaster caster, all those songs, amazingly, a lot of the simpler seventies, um, kiss songs that were the highlight of this, of kiss unplugged. You know, they're such simple songs that when you take them to acoustic, it works really well. So it, it was a perfect opportunity to start up the reunion, you know, with Ace and Peter and everything. Not that I even, you know, myself, I didn't even want the reunion to happen. I mean, I'm glad Psycho Circus is an album that exists and it's out there. I didn't really care. Like, no, g- keep me with Eric Singer and, and Bruce Kulick. Like, because you guys are doing awesome stuff. You're doing Carnival of Souls. You're doing Revenge. Your 80s music's fucking amazing. I mean, like, you're, you're, you know, you're reaching new heights with Kiss here. Uh, and, and then they just, they, they totally go backwards. But, admittedly, it's a great sounding album. It's a lot of fun. It's very enjoyable. So, Kiss Unplugged uh, sits at number 18. Then, uh, then we'll round, uh, let's see, 19, Kiss Symphony, Alive 4. This was really cool. Um, in fact, there's a double DVD set of this. Um, now, Kiss Symphony wasn't supposed to be alive for. There was actually uh, a recording done, I think, in 1999 that was part of the, what was, well, 
what ended up getting named the Millennium Tour maybe was supposed to be something else. Might it was supposed to be a farewell tour, but <laughs> after the reunion in '96. But um, uh, this ended up being a live four, and Peter Chris would be playing on it. Did a hell of a job. Uh, and Tommy Thayer would be taking the the ropes. They did not bring back Bruce Kulick, but Tommy Thayer would be, you know, uh, uh, pulling strings for for Ace Fraley instead. You know, Ace Fraley wouldn't be there. Uh, I I enjoyed. This is a double disc album, very very good. Uh, in fact, there's there's a single disc version which actually has a studio cover of um, is it the Ramones Rock and Roll Radio. That's an awesome little Kiss tune. Lots of fun, uh, even though it's a cover song. But um, but the two disc version really good. Uh, in fact, the song that really benefits because it was you know they had the the was the Melbourne Symphony uh, Orchestra. They did this in Australia. Um, the when they did so the first like the first disc is a lot of acoustic and like they don't bring in the, the full symphony until later in the show in which ends up being the second disc on the second disc like when they do black diamond which is probably my favorite song off of the original kiss off the you know self-titled kiss album um, when they do that like when the symphony cr- crashes in that is so awesome like that is i mean that is so so good um so yeah, wow. <laughs> Which, by the way, Black Diamond is also a great uh, bonus track by Yoshiki on uh, on Kiss My Ass. Kiss My Ass is not on this list. Kiss My Ass is a uh, um, was like a, a an official Kiss released cover album by other people like Garth Brooks and a whole bunch of other people to do Kiss songs. Uh, and Black Diamond on there is done symphonically by you know by Yoshiki. Uh, and that is that is a great track and was a prelude really to hearing just how good Black Diamond sounds with a full symphony behind it. And of course, Peter Chris there, you know, you know, belting out the lyrics and, you know, Paul doing the thing and everything. Um, so that that's a lot of fun. Uh, Shandy is also from Unmasked, which that album will be very low on this list. <laughs> uh, but that sounded really good in the acoustic style on there. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to like with with the live four. I, I thought the, the Kiss Symphony thing was a great trick. Uh, very cool. Obviously, a lot of bands have done it. Uh, Kiss was not breaking any new ground with it, like they did with you know Live One. Uh, but it works. Like it's cool to hear. And and I I don't know that I care for every version of the song. Like there's some like you know when you take something like Metallica's S and M right, which is there where they worked with Michael Kamen, um, and they you know they did a symphonic thing. Like most of the songs on that, I actually like the symphonic versions better than I like the album cuts from Metallica. Uh, like uh, of Wolf and Man and things like this. Uh, I can't really think of, other than maybe Black Diamond, I can't think of a song on there where I'm like, yeah, I think the symphony really added something. You know, I, I don't say it. Like, I get it. Some of it's cool. King of the Nighttime World, a lot of that other stuff was was a lot of fun. But some of the songs maybe that they could have done that would have been awesome with symphony, they didn't do, you know? So whatever. Uh, but but it's still a, a great album. Definitely, you know, belonging in the in the top 20. Um and definitely my favorite Alive album, aside from, from Alive 3. Uh, so number 20, rounding it out, here's actually another Greatest Hits album that didn't get a wide release. And three, there's four new songs on it. Three of the new songs on it were put onto, uh, were put on the box set, into the Kiss box set in 2001. But, you know, it's a shame because I like the one I think that they didn't include on there was was such a good song that like I, I have to you know I have to count killers otherwise I'd write off killers if if all four of those songs were on the box set but for some reason they left one of them fucking off 
but the song that I, I think is really good off of Killers is um, I'm a Legend Tonight. And that's the song that didn't make it onto the 2001 box set, which just blows my mind. Because it's a really like sexy, you know, uh, kind of a deep song. I mean, simple, but, you know, I, I really, really dig it. Uh, I'm a legend tonight. You know, it's all like, one of the lyrics is, I know I got to make it till 5 a.m., meaning that, you know, Paul's going to be stooping until 5 a.m., like all night long. I, it, it's so good. Uh, but the other three tracks that were uh, unique to it were Down on Your Knees, Nowhere to Run, and Partners in Crime. Partners in Crime being the weakest of the four new songs on it. Uh, but those all, I believe, if I remember correctly, were all on the box set. Uh, but I'm a legend tonight. Like, that's so good. Why not include that? Whatever. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. He's, in fact, that, yeah. So funny lyric with uh, I'm a legend tonight. So it says, like, he, it says, believing in five o'clock, meaning that he's going to make it to five o'clock. But if you look in the lyric, I think if you look in the booklet, if I remember right, and I, and I think actually if you go to like any lyrics site on the internet for that song, it says, believing in Bible crop. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what are you talking about? Believing in Bible crop. It, weird, weird ass shit. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand at all what, what, what they're what they going there. But, uh, but Killers, those four tracks are great four tracks. Par- um, Partners in Crime is kind of weak, but Nowhere to Run is, is really good. Um, and Down on Your Knees is also a, a, like a, a really fun song too. Um, so now getting into number 21, uh, this would be 2009's Sonic Boom. Uh, which had uh, this is this is a fun th- this is a cool album. I mean, in kind of coming back, uh, of course, the lineup now. You know, this is kind of the third or fourth lineup, depending on how you want to count them. Um, where it's uh, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Tommy Thayer, and Eric Singer, and of course, they're all wearing the makeup. Um, Sonic Boom had had some you know like it was it was unique in that I think it was originally it was only being sold at like Walmart. Like that was literally the only place you could buy uh, this album uh, back in 2009, uh, but it went gold. I mean, that's that's something. Like this is you know this is kind of a return of of Kiss uh, in in a very real sense. And depending you know in the Walmart version when you bought it, you'd ended up you got a, a DVD of a Buenos Aires uh, live show from uh, from 2009, and then also you got a bonus disc which was actually the release of kiss classics and it's classics with a K where they redid a bunch of songs, um, you know, with the modern band, which I think is a cool release. Like that alone gives the album a lot of credit, uh, just because you could buy this album if you wanted. And it is a very complete kiss collection. Uh, even though the sound, you know, the songs today re-recorded don't sound as hot as they did, you know, back when they were originally recorded. Uh, but you get a lot of good stuff on that. I mean, on the bonus CD, not even talking about the original music from Sonic Boom, but on the bonus CD, uh, you got Deuce, Detroit Rock City, Shout It Out Loud, Hotter Than Hell, Calling Dr. Love, Love Gun, I Was Made For Loving You, Heavens, which is a great rocking version of it without the disco stuff, by the way. Heavens On Fire, Lick It Up, I Love It Loud, Forever, Christine 16, Do You Love Me, Black Diamond, Rock and Roll All Night. I mean, you've got a great selection of real, yeah, Kiss classics on there. And then you have Disc One, which is, you know, an awesome little, an awesome album. Um, in fact, I, you know, honestly, like part of me wants to rank it significantly higher. Like Modern Day Delilah was a great song. Russian Roulette's really good. Never Enough is really good. I mean, like there, there's a lot of good songs on this. 
Uh, a very enjoyable album, a, a very listenable uh, album, in my opinion, that came out in 2009. And this was kind of the return of Kiss. And I mean, at the time, you know, Paul Stanley's kind of rhetoric was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're still killing it. You know, we're in our 60s. Who gives a shit? But we can still come out with tons of albums. And that leads us to number, I guess this would be number 22, which uh, was the follow-up uh, that came in 2012, which was Monster. Um, another very good album, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I uh, Hell, um, Hell or Hallelujah was really good. Back to the Stone Age was lots of fun. The Devil is Me, I, I thought was an awesome Gene Simmons song. Uh, you know, so another one where there's, there's good shit involved. Uh, so, you know, and I, I know a lot of people, sadly, write these two albums off because they don't like the fact that they gave Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer, uh, you know, Ace and Peter's makeup. I just don't agree. They're good albums. Like, they're really good albums. I mean, they're not the greatest albums. That's why they're not in the top 20. But they're very, very good albums. I, I enjoy the hell out of them. Um, and here, here's some, now the next picks people are going to be shocked by because these are all from like the seventies, but look, it's where I rank them folks. Uh, next one being rock and roll over from 1976. Of course, Mr. Speed, you know, great song on there. Um, rock and roll over is, is a fine album follow up to, uh, you know, to, uh, to destroyer, uh, you know, it speaks for itself. A very, very good album. Uh, alive Two. now that ranks in, uh, I guess this would be number 24, yeah, I mean, All American Man, you know, some of those songs, like the, the, the studio tracks on that are fantastic. The live portions, I don't know, don't do it for me compared to a live three, which is probably why it ranks so low. But, uh, but the studio tracks on it are some of the best Kiss songs ever done. You know, they're, they're, they're very, very good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a live two definitely deserves, I mean, it's, well, I'm going to do the ranking of the live albums here in a minute. Uh, but a live two, very good. Uh, the self-titled album is next. Uh, at number 25, which would be Kiss, self-titled, duh. Uh, I mean, these songs are, you know, they're fantastic. Strutter, you know, uh, Deuce. I mean, a lot of this stuff, Black Diamond, of course, that I talked about, a lot of these songs still hold up very well today, an excellent album. Um, Hotter Than Hell, you know, Cold Gin, the song Hotter Than Hell. I mean, they're just, they're fun songs. Like, they're not stylistically great. They're just very fun songs. You know, so it doesn't rank very high for me, but that's a number uh, number twenty six. Dress to Kill. Now, this is the album that Rock and Roll All Night, arguably the biggest Kiss song of all time. You know, Rock and Roll All Night was originally on Dress to Kill, but the version that everybody kind of remembers is off of the you know double live album Alive. Uh, but Dress to Kill, yeah, I mean, not you know, not the most memorable album, and, and even you know, understand this. Even like Gene and Paul will tell you that the first three albums, which we just broke down. Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and Now Dressed to Kill, they don't consider to be their best albums. Like, and they don't consider like them to be, I mean, they, they you know, Kiss, they really like a lot of that. And there's something to be said for that first album, Magic. Uh, but, you know, they, they know that like this wasn't really like pushing us as, as far as like the album presentations. And that's why they, they always push so hard with, the, with their live albums, because that's their chance to go back and really give the punch to a lot of these songs that maybe they like the songs from the first three albums. Um, but it gives the punch that they deserve and, you know, that, like that extra kick. And, and I agree. I, I like I, I respect their opinion on that. And I think it's absolutely true. Uh, so then coming in uh, later next is uh, Double Platinum. Uh, would this be 26? I've already lost count. <laughs> Double Platinum from 1978. Now, Double Platinum is, is a greatest hits album. Definitely, if you just love 70s Kiss, this is the only album you need. 
uh, because there's a lot of tracks on this. Nothing really new. Like there's the 78, there's Strutter 78, which is kind of a disco version of Strutter, which is kind of cool, which the album opens up with. Um, there is like, there's a lot of interesting, I don't want to say remixes, but like um, cuts where one song kind of leads into the other when they originally didn't do that. That is, that is really, you know, that that's really kind of cool. Uh, so, you know, it deserves a place in ranking of albums because of how it presents a lot of that. And for some reason, I just feel like 100,000 Years sounds so good on this, that, that song. It sounds just fantastic on Double Platinum. Uh, so that, that's a great one. Uh, the next one, uh, another, another talk about Divisive. Um, music from the Elder. Now, I actually don't hate this album. It's a concept album. It's this whole story. I really like it. I like the song I, I Believe in Me. I think that that's a fun song. I think World Without Heroes is a great song. In fact, one of the reasons I love the the Unplugged, Kiss Unplugged, is because they do World Without Heroes, and you really get just how, like how powerful a song that is. Now, I mean, a lot of people remember it for the music video because in it, Gene is crying, wearing full makeup, and he like he does that one tear thing, and everybody's like, oh my God, this is just, this is too much. You know, holy Satan, please stop. And... <laughs> Right. But no, I, I like it. I, I really I think there's a lot to love about this album. Um, you know, it, it's different. The band has felt differently about it at different times. Um, but I, I dig it. Like, I don't think it's the worst thing they've ever done by a long shot. Uh, and I and I think it's very unique. And I, and I kind of dig the storytelling. I like that that Gene was getting into that. Gene and Paul, you know, were getting it like, yeah, let's, let's tell a whole story here. Kind of do like what Styx is doing or something. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I like it. I think the song, again, uh, World Without Heroes and I, both very good songs. Uh, some of the more operatic stuff that Paul does, eh, yeah, <laughs> like, I get it. That's not really, the, you know, the best. But like I said, it's certainly not the worst that they've they've ever done. And if anything, compared to the rest of the albums on this, uh, in that'll that'll top out this list, you know, it does have at least two good songs instead of maybe just one that like you kind of let slide, right? Uh, so, so I got to give it that. Um, next on the list is actually the box set from, um, you know, which is literally that huge four disc, four or five disc, you know, two thousand one box set, uh, and it. The box set was really cool because it brought a lot of songs from releases around the world that maybe America never saw. And it finally put them in one place, which was really nice, even though it didn't, it didn't really collect everything. Um, but it's worthwhile. And there is a demo track, I think on disc three called time traveler, which is from the eighties. The song is great. It's pure eighties kiss and, you know, non-makeup kiss. And it, it is so, so good. And I think it was supposed to be for a movie or something. Uh, but Paul Stanley's in, in, you know, perfect Paul Stanley form. And, and I think that track alone is worth the price of admission for the whole thing because it's such a unique track. Uh, and you get a lot of, um, you get a lot of unique cuts from Carnival of Souls, which is one of my favorite albums by Kiss. Uh, so I, I think it's, v it's a very worthwhile, uh, collection to, to have. Um, and also it has what was kind of unique at the time. It had a track from what was supposed to be a live four, not Kiss Symphony, like we talked about. But what was originally supposed to be a live for, which will be on this list. Um, 
so yeah, the box set really cool. Uh, you know, at the very least, it has Time Traveler, and that's that's totally fucking worth it. And it has those great cuts from Carnival of Souls. Um, and at the time, I mean, for a few years, people were wondering, okay, you you know, you advertise, you put a track from uh, you know like a, a version of Detroit Rock City or or uh, of Rock and Roll All Night from Alive Four. Uh, where the fuck's Alive Four? And you know, people were waiting forever for Alive Four. And even in 2006, when Alive Four finally or um, not 2006, when or 2003, when Alive Four actually came out. People are like, uh, hey, this isn't a Live 4, and we know it's not. Where the hell is a Live 4? So the box set was really worthwhile for a long time. It doesn't hold up necessarily as well today as it did then, uh, as far as its importance with what it delivered, but still a, a great box set. And, and it covers so much great music, but you know, you're buying you know, four or five discs, depending upon the version that you get. Um, next in the lineup is the last of the really the Kiss full band albums, and that is Unmasked. Uh, from 1978. Now, this album, the album title is a trick because they didn't get unmasked, obviously, you know, until uh, 83 with Lick It Up. Um, there is one good song on there. The rest of it, I just, the I don't really care for the album. So, <laughs> you know, like, and I barely ever listen to it. Uh, I try to listen to it just to know it, just for Kiss, like, posterity. But it's obviously an album where people were, were just not feeling it and they're coming off of... Um, you know, like, the, the, or sorry, I, I, did I say it was from 78? It's from 1980. Because I was just like, it's coming off a of Dynasty, but I said it was 78 and Dynasty is 79. Uh, you're coming off a of Dynasty, not a great sequel album to come off of. But it had the song Shandy, which is, a, you know, a fun song. I mean, like, it's not a rocker at all. Uh, it sounds, Shandy sounded really good on on what ended up becoming Kiss Symphony Alive 4, where they did kind of the, the acoustic cuts in the beginning. Uh, so, but Shandy, you know, it's, it's a song you can listen to. So I, I just, it ranks very low for me. Uh, but it, there, you know, that's yeah, maybe a couple other songs that are really listenable, but I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. Uh, but it is admittedly more listenable than Peter Chris's 1978 solo album, which is the next one on our list. Uh, <laughs> how many, wait, we're over, we're, we're, we're definitely over 30 now. <laughs> Uh, Peter Chris, very low ranking. I don't, I don't really care for that album at all. Um, uh, some people might dig it kind of bluesy. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't feel it. I didn't feel it. Um, it, it didn't, didn't hold a lot for me, but it is all, you know, it is original music. It is original kiss music. So I actually put it higher than, and this is the part where people are going to go nuts because they're like, where is the live one? You know, the seminal kiss album, where the hell is it? You know, a live one just doesn't, I don't know, like it, it never, again, I guess it's because I grew up with a live three that, that the other live albums, the live tracks just don't hold up for me. And so a live one ranks underneath all those because there's nothing really original there. It, it just, it doesn't, I, I get for people why it's a snapshot in time and why it means so much for so many people. And I understand its importance in the lexicon of live albums. Like it made live albums legit again, because before live albums were just kind of something you'd toss out there and throw away to make a few bucks. I, not unironically, that's what live albums have become again, you know, in the past decade. Uh, but at least most of the time, but you know, at the time, this was a huge deal. I totally understand that, but it's just, I never listened to it. It just doesn't mean anything to me. So, and I don't even listen to it for posterity's reasons, you know, or like, just like have it in my head. It just doesn't mean anything to me. So it's, it's not the bottom of the list, but it's second to bottom <laughs> because here is the bottom of the list, folks. We're, we're two hours in. Uh, the bottom of the list is Alive the Millennium Concert which was originally supposed to be Alive 4. Now, this came out on that Alive box set that I mentioned when we were first talking about Alive 3. 
Um, and this came out in 2006. And so they called it the Millennium Concert. That's obviously not what it was originally supposed to be named because it was probably supposed to be part of the Farewell Concert or whatever uh, back in 99. And it was originally recorded in 99, even though it wouldn't come out for almost 10 years later. But this album, nothing new. There's just nothing new here. There's nothing exciting here. So I get it. I'm glad it came out. There's probably a really damn good reason why it came out as part of an alive box set and not as its own CD. I mean, maybe in some territories it came out as, as, as its own CD, but largely in America, that's how it was released. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't add anything to me. Now, if I were to count it as an entire live box set, it would probably rank significantly higher for a couple of reasons. One of them is, is that the, the version of Alive 3 on the Alive box set that the Millennium Concert was a part of is, has Take It Off, which was never released in America before then. It was only on the Japanese edition. Um, but then the problem with the Alive box set is that you lose the studio tracks that make Alive 2 so great. So <laughs> like why Alive 2 gets such high ranking is because the studio tracks are so good on that. Um, so like it has its problems. Um, so the Millennium Concert, another one, I never listened to it. Like I, I've listened to it two, three times over the years, but you know, there's just nothing that exciting there. And the, the song, the track listing is not very exciting at all. Uh, it just, it just doesn't do anything for me. So, you know, that said, I mean, listening to a Kiss live album is always, is generally better than listening to anybody else's live album, except for maybe UFO or something. But, um, you know, it just, they, they rank low, but they're important because live albums are so key to Kiss's existence. And that's why I included them in the breakdown. Uh, so, uh, real quick, I'm going to do, we're going to go from number one and we'll go all the way down into the thirties here. And, and then I'm going to, going to, you know, do another, another couple of quick picks and then we'll, we'll wrap this baby up. This is one of the longest Patreon episodes I've ever done. Um, okay, here we go. So number one, uh, Asylum then, and I'm not going to keep numbering them, uh, or well, yeah, final number them. Number one, Asylum. Number two, Revenge. Number three, Alive three. Uh, number four, Lick It Up. Number five, Crazy Nights. Number six, Creatures of the Night. Number seven, Hot in the Shade. Number eight, Animalize. Uh, number nine, Carnival of Souls. Number 10, Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Woo! Uh, number 11, Love Gun. Number 12, Psycho Circus. Number 13, Destroyer. Number 14, Dynasty. Number 15, Paul Stanley. Uh, number 16, Gene Simmons. Number, seven, number 17, Ace Fraley. Number 18, Kiss Unplugged. Number 19, Kiss Symphony Alive 4. Uh, number 20, Killers. Number 21, Sonic Boom. Number 22, Monster. Uh, number 23, Rock and Roll Over. 24, Alive 2. 25, Kiss, the self-titled album. 26, Hotter Than Hell. 27, Dress to Kill. Uh, 28, Double Platinum. 29, Music from the Elder. Number 30, the box set, the Kiss box set. Uh, 31, Unmasked. 32, Peter Chris solo album. Uh, 33 is Alive One. And then 34 is Alive the Millennium Concert. Number 35, well, some of those are going to shift to 35, or one of them is going to shift to 35 because there's probably going to be another Kiss album, even though it might not feature Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons in the future. So there you go. There's the breakdown. 34 Kiss albums. Uh, you know, I have got them all ranked, and I'll put all that in the show notes. Now, real quick, like I said, the live albums are so important, uh, you know, to, to Kiss that I want to just, you know, rank the live albums. Uh, honestly, they'll, they'll largely they'll largely rank just as, you know, as they did in, in the ranking, but I want to break it down. So uh, number one, obviously Alive 3, especially with Take It Off, the version with Take It Off on there is just such a great 
uh, uh, Kiss album. So I put that at number two, uh, number one as far as live albums from Kiss. Uh, Kiss Symphony Live 4, I actually put it at number two, which that did not rank the highest, uh, the same way uh, as far as live albums in my total ranking. Um, Kiss Unplugged, I put it at number three, which Kiss Unplugged ranked higher than Kiss Symphony uh, in, in the breakdown, but for different reasons. But as far as like live albums go, like listenable live albums, uh, Live 3, Kiss Symphony, then Kiss Unplugged. Then I got to give it to a Live 2 for, again, those studio tracks are so good. Uh, and then uh, a Live 1 and then a Live the Millennium concert. So that's the order of the actual, just, just the live albums from Kiss uh, that I put them in. Uh, and if you didn't want to count Unplugged, if you just wanted to count the albums with the name Alive, uh, then yeah, it's a Live 3, a Live 4, a Live 2, a Live 1, and then a Live the Millennium concert. Uh, now, as far as like best greatest hits album, that you can buy, you know, for them, like best greatest hits studio album instead of, you know, like a live album or something like that. Best compilation that you could purchase. If you're not getting the box set and even the box set, I don't think is delivers as well as, as it could. Um, smashes, thrashes and hits the 1988 smashes, thrashes and hits. If you had to put one kiss album, you know, in your collection, that's the one that I, that I would pop in there is, is or like one greatest hits album. That's the one that I would go with. Uh, you know, again, let's put the X and sex. You make me rock harder. Great. Especially if you get the Japanese version that has crazy nights on it, it has a couple other extra tracks that aren't in the American version that makes it an even more complete collection, uh, in my opinion of, uh, you know, of, of great music. And you have Eric Carr doing Beth on it, which is just fantastic. Like that's, it's so good. Uh, the best version of Beth, you know, bar none. And that's a beautiful song. I, you know, I, I can admit that. Um, let's see. Then we've got, uh, now the last, the last, uh, this is, this is the end. The, like if you could only have one kiss album out of all the ones we've talked about, just the one kiss album that you need to, you know, that, that, okay, I look, I can just pick one. What, what would it be, you know, that offers maybe the best uh, perspective of Kiss, gives the best Kiss attitude, uh, the best, you know, Kiss technicality, you know, all of that different stuff. Like what, just what delivers. And I've got, it's not going to be Asylum, which was the top pick, which is my, you know, my favorite Kiss album. It's actually going to be a live three. I got to give it to a live three. Like if there was one Kiss album that I'd hand to somebody, that's the one. Even though it's not a studio album, even though it's not studio cuts, uh, just the attitude, the energy, the the representation, the retrospective of it, all of that just makes it like the Kiss album, in my opinion. And it's also them in their prime. Like, I mean, or, you know, I mean, you could argue if you feel they're out of their prime since the 70s or something, but I, I think they're really in their prime. And that showed with, of course, uh, you know, the album Revenge. Uh, but yeah, Alive 3 is just it just, it covers all the bases. It hits all the high notes. It does the seventies, does the eighties, does the nineties. I mean, you know, it's got so much going for it. Um, you know, again, Psycho Circus, Sonic Boom, Monster, they're all good albums, you know, that, that can't be, and Carnival of Souls as well, obviously, uh, you know, can't be represented by a live three, but what does get represented gets put on in the best shape that Kiss has ever been in, in my opinion. Uh, so yeah, a live three is the real takeaway album here, uh, in my opinion. So there we go. There is a complete ranking of every kiss album, even live albums and some of the greatest hits that matter, uh, you know, that actually had new content on them and all that. Um, I can't really think of, you know, I, I mean, honorable mentions. Yeah. Like, uh, Paul Stanley came out with a solo album a few years ago called live to win. It's an awesome album. Uh, Gene Simmons, Boy, this would have been back in, was that 2005, 2004, 2005, when he came out with his, his, uh, another solo album called Asshole. 
amazing album. There's like, there's a song he did on there with Zappa, uh, you know, like with Frank Zappa, but of course, you know, it was done through computers because Frank Zappa was, was, you know, has sadly left us uh, long ago. Um, and you know, it was, the song's Black Tongue. It's really good. Uh, and he did Firestarter from Prodigy. I mean, it's like, it's, it's so good. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like extraneous Kiss related material, uh, you know, that's out there that I didn't cover uh, in this, Bruce Kulick has done solo albums. He did BK3, which was really good. Uh, you know, and Eric Carr had Rockology, which there's some fun songs on Rockology. I really dig that. And Kulick's done other stuff too. He did Audio Dog, Transformer. He's had a, he's had a few um, uh, solo albums. Eric Singer had the Eric Singer Project. And of course, Eric Singer now, you know, he, I mean, that guy's amazing. You know, to, to play with Alice Cooper and Kiss and, you know, whoever needs him at the time. I mean, it's just incredible. So there's a lot of extraneous stuff to look at too. But, I mean, that's just, that's the legendary nature of Kiss. I mean, and, and some of Ace's albums are really good. You know, I, I got I to gotta hand it to him. I mean, some of his shit is, is like Rock Soldiers is so good. Uh, like, that's such a great song. Um, but anyway, yeah, Kiss, I mean, my favorite band of all time, bar none, that'll, I guarantee that'll never change. Because who could, you know, who else could replicate this, this kind of history? You know, who, who could replicate like this catalog? Nobody. You can't do it anymore. And there's a lot of conversation to be had about why that is, uh, you know, because that might be a product of the times. I mean, but hot damn. I mean, (laughs) this is just, it's so good. They're so amazing. Um, I look forward, like I said, I do look forward to, uh, you know, or I mean, I don't look forward to it. I wish Kiss and Gene would drink the Fountain of Youth and live forever. But, or uh, Paul and Gene, did I say Kiss and Gene? I wish Paul and Gene, you know, would, would do that, but they're not going to. So I, you know, I look forward to the day when, you know, KISS continues, but it's all new people. That's totally fine with me. I'm really okay with that. I don't know who it's going to be, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be the right people because obviously just looking at this, at this list and what we talked about, Paul and Gene are tremendous business people and people that have uh, taste, you know, so I think they can deliver on it. So KISS has got a bright future ahead of it, uh, but I enjoyed going down memory lane and looking at their past uh, with this. And I hope you enjoyed it too. And I appreciate the patron uh, that asked the question um, about it. And I hope you all enjoyed the little uh, Patreon bonus content. So woo, that's it for me. Uh, new Sovereign Tech, of course, will be out this week. Uh, we'll have a good time with that. And uh, lots, of course, you know, if you're, if you're a new patron, there's tons of content to go back. There's hundreds of hours of content to listen back to. Uh, and, and, you know, you can flip through it all. And thank you all to, to, to all of you for being a Sovereign Tech patron and helping this all go round and round. So whew, there it is. Enough of that. I'll see you on the other side.